everyone. Just wanted to step in really quickly before the show gets underway to let you know that when this show gets going, we're going to promise a whole lot of stuff and how naive we were to think that we should do 10 hours of wrestling reviewed in one episode. So what we're going to do is we planned and we talked like we're going to be doing the entirety of the show, but we're actually going to be cutting this into two weeks. So the first week, this week is going to be night one of the G1 or not the G1, the night one of the Wrestle Kingdom 14. And then next week we'll have night two of Wrestle Kingdom 14. And now because we did these together, some things are going to feel a little awkward. Like the four things are only going to be on this week and next week, the Dave Meltzer star reviews and our stars will be part of that one next week, even though they, could have been a part of it this week because we did them all in a big batch and I don't know how to cut them up without making it sound super weird. So that's what's coming up this week. Wrestle Kingdom night one next week, Wrestle Kingdom night two. the week after that it's the Royal rumble. So hopefully you enjoy it and we'll talk to you soon. Coming to you from deep in the flyover States. We reviewed new Japan pro wrestling's Wrestle Kingdom 14 night one. This is the Golden Age of Grappling Podcast. And welcome to the show. This is the Golden Age of Grappling Podcast, episode 206. I'm DP. And I'm Tony G. DP this week for the people. Uh-huh. We watched not one, but two nights of New Japan Pro Wrestling's yeah. Wrestle Kingdom 14 for, from the Tokyo Dome. For as much shit as we talked about last year's WrestleMania, I sure signed oh, us yeah. up in a, in a hurry for 10 hours of wrestling. <laughs> yeah, and here's the thing. WWE, I mean, they haven't gone 10 yet. We've got to give WWE that much credit. They haven't yeah. gone 10 yet. No, they haven't gone 10 yet, but yeah, they we thought they might shorten each night, but they just said no. If we're going to do two nights, there's two full nights of Wrestle Kingdom. There you go. All right. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, so it was long, but the matches for the most part were always at least average or above average. So, True. I mean, it was uh, wasn't painful to watch, just took a little while. But hey, we did it all for you because this <laughs> is a wrestling review show. Each week, DP and I get together to discuss an event we agreed to watch the week before. It's the Oprah's Book Club for Wrestling Nerds. For any and all information about the show, links to Twitter, Facebook, all the rest, visit goldenagepodcast.com. And if you feel the need to express yourself further, maybe it's something a little longer or more involved, send us an email, please, at goldenagegrappling at gmail.com. Yeah, definitely do that. And if you uh, see a show that maybe you're watching through some old stuff on the network and you see something that's really interesting and you just want to hear somebody talk about it, send it our way because we do take requests. Of course, we enjoy it if it is uh, readily available online, either you know through YouTube, Daily Motion, or official networks. Uh, either way, that's always good. But yeah, send us your requests because we do take those. As we, do. I believe we're going to actually have another request coming up shortly as well. Here just on the as well. around the corner. Yeah, just, just around, the around the corner. Yeah. We should actually, I guess, maybe now is as good a time as any to talk about. Yeah. Um, we will not be doing a show next week. Yes. Uh, I am moving into a house, and DP is 
going to be doing a 24-hour marathon of <laughs> high school basketball games. It sounds um, ludicrous. In the state of it's Ohio, true. it's true. It's uh, yeah, uh, a lot of games over three days, and uh, I'm going to be really busy. And it's like I was looking at it. You know, one night we do get off by 9 p.m., but I I just feel like after broadcasting six games that day, I don't know that I could record a podcast afterwards. So no. <laughs> so so but, so we're off. both. Yeah, we're both very busy. Uh, we're going to take next week off. We will then bring you a classic Royal Rumble before we then review a classic Raw episode requested by Nick Opelouski. So yeah, um, that is still to come, but we will not be doing a show next week. Believe me, this week we will give you more content than you can handle. I feel so, like this is the... We've got uh, a lot to talk about. I feel like this is the segment that they did on night two where they just like go through the dates of half the year's shows and <laughs> right. like tell you when it's going to be, where it's going to be. This is this is our segment for that, right? We need some... like. Yeah. Some music with a lot of synths and, and high pitched bells in the background, but right, I um, agree. Yeah, so yeah, so that's uh, that's what's on the way here in the world of the golden age of grappling. Tony getting a brand new house. I'm gonna watch a lot of basketball and probably lose my voice. Um, so that brings us to what we brought us. Well, what brings us here to this podcast? It is wrestling, and it, there's a lot going on in the current world of wrestling. On top of New Japan's biggest show, there was tons of other Japan, Japanese shows. We're not going to be talking about those because we didn't have access to that information uh, here in the Vicious Dish. But there is a lot going on in the regular world of wrestling as well, and we're going to talk a little bit about at least one segment of that in the segment that we like to call the Sid Vicious Dishes. Look at my face. It was something that was given to me because of people like you. See, he's going to stereotype me. It's the big dumb guy. And I have half the brain that you do. My disposition is not something I was born with. It's something I was acquired because people like you. <laughs> because you are feared of me. Well, the skeptics and all the people have a little bit. Let me do this again. Oh, it's live, Hal. Sorry. Tony, we are live, and as we are live, I just have to ask are you eating raisinets? Was that a box of raisinets I saw you just (laughs) open up? (laughs) First of all, yes, because. They're delicious, and you can buy a dollar for that box of raisinets right there. Oh, okay. You can buy them at your local Walgreens or CVS. <laughs> and uh, I love milk chocolate raisinets, and I'm not afraid to admit that. All right. I mean, you know, visually they are like the deer turds of candy, but they do taste pretty good. I, I have to admit, I'm right. not, I'm not, I'm not hating on raisinets. It's not like you're opening up Whoppers. You're not a monster. It's just right. Uh. I'm gonna eat Whoppers into the microphone next next time we record. <laughs> So I was also going to comment week. on you and your, I believe that may have been the longest intro to introduction for the Sid Vicious Dish <laughs> leading into tonight's version. It's so possible. I enjoyed that. It's possible. Um, but yeah. So this week, DP, um, you know, you would think that the wrestling world may be discussing the Impact World Title match featuring Tessa Blanchard and Sammy Callahan, you know. <laughs> okay. Potential big deal here as, you know, she can yeah. become the first woman to uh, hold a heavyweight title in a major wrestling promotion, however you want to define that word. Um, But that is, however, not the case. Um, Unfortunately for Impact, (laughs) as seems to be the case, they just can't get out of their own way. And 
on the worst possible weekend to kick this hornet's nest that has now completely rained down a shitstorm on the <laughs> reputation and uh you know feelings about one Tessa Blanchard. Uh-huh. So it's so funny because I hadn't even thought about this, but it was it is kind of like interesting now when someone kind of posed a question about why haven't you seen a bunch of like female competitors in the wrestling world, whether it be independent or you know the, even one of the, you know the big company? Why has anybody said anything about her potentially becoming the world champion of a company? Yeah, and it was like I hadn't even <laughs> thought about that until today when all of this you know that we'll get into happened. But it was like, huh? You know what? That is kind of crazy. Like if. Charlotte Flair was fighting Brock Lesnar for the world title. I feel like, and I don't know, this might be a really terrible example. Maybe she's a terrible human being also. As I say it, I'm like, huh, if there's anybody that's maybe like Tessa Blanchard, Charlotte Flair might be. But anyway, if if Charlotte Flair was, I will say, hopefully this is the case. Yeah. If she was fighting Brock Lesnar for the world title, I feel like every woman on the WWE roster and many many women on other rosters and on the independent scene would be tweeting encouraging words to her or yeah. making comments on interactions on television about how cool it is to see this and how exciting this is and how big of a moment this could be I could see and that. this Tessa Blanchard and this Tessa Blanchard Sammy Callahan feud has been going on for months mm-hmm. like they have been dragging this out since they I think debuted on Access TV before that even you know I said, wasn't I was like, it huh. in like late summer, early fall, where they had like their big like match that like set up her chance to get a title shot or something like that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, because she's jumped through hoops and beaten everybody that's come her way, and for better or worse, you her know. and Sammy each with baseball bats. So, that's what I right. So, anyways, so the so the you know the feud has been what it is, you know, good, bad, however you feel about it. Doesn't you know Sammy Callahan's a person that triggers certain feelings in a lot of people out there as well. So yeah, that yeah, for sure. doesn't help doesn't help the situation much. But so anyway, so Tessa Blanchard tweeted out uh sim- seemed simple enough at the time. Hey women, try supporting one another. Cool things happen. <laughs> that was one day ago. Okay. So yeah. you think, oh, okay. That that kind of speaking to what we were just talking about with the whole like it is kind of like why isn't anybody saying anything nice to Tessa Blanchard before she does this? You know, like yeah. just seems so strange. It, you know, they all, they also tend to be the most supportive. You know, I'm not trying to stereotype, but you know, the women, the women's wrestlers, they they seem to be much better at that than the men's side as far as like being supportive of one another and mm-hmm. saying encouraging words and things like that. You know, yeah, they're not they're not talking about taking dinner off each other's plates. Um, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm glad you added that context to this because I hadn't even thought about it in that context. I just saw Tessa Blanchard's tweet. Just seemingly, yeah. I was I was like, I don't know what triggered this, but it seems like it's just pretty generic, and it's not necessarily like really, you know, it doesn't seem like it's she's scorching the earth on the opinion of other women or anything like that. It just seems like right. a generic, you know, here's a positive message. Why don't we try to be better to each other message? Yeah. But but seeing with your context, I can kind of see where you know probably a lot of people saw it in another way. Uh, just as you know, hey, why hasn't anyone said anything about this big match that I'm about to have? Sort of a thing. That's so, a possibility as well. So that happens. Yes, and really. then Allison Kay uh, worked in Impact as Sienna. She was in the uh, Mae Young Classic, the second one that they did. Uh, I'm a big fan of her. She's the current NWA Women's Champion. Okay. Uh, 
Allison K, but she just drops a bomb and re- replies to that with, remember when you spat in a black woman's face and called her the N-word in Japan? Was that you supporting women? The audacity of this tweet. And it's like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> okay, like, that happens. And then you're like, okay, well, maybe she does it. And then Chelsea Green, who, you know, recently was on Raw, tweets, you've consistently put down, bullied, and belittled countless female coworkers, including me. Is that support? (laughs) Okay. Isla Dawn. I believe she was also in one of the Mae Young classics. As someone who experienced your bullying firsthand, received regular verbal abuse, was spat on, had rumors spread about me, dealt with multiple attempts by you to blacklist me from other companies, I just pray you now follow your own advice. Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. Rebel. uh, I remember Rebel from Impact, uh, Uh lovely lady from Texas, but... I like to think people change over time, but I can confirm the bad behavior and non-supportive attitude in Japan. I was there. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, Priscilla Kelly, um, you know, a lady that certainly <laughs> draws her own certain amount of uh, controversy with her when her and Mr. Joey Ryan typically get together. But um, she says, remember publicly putting me down on Twitter last year for something that didn't involve you whatsoever, then continuing to drag my name to other people for it. Pepperidge Farm remembers, you should probably delete this tweet. <laughs> Jesus. See, I didn't realize so, yeah. how many, like, I'd seen the first two, and then yeah. I think I saw, like, Isla Dawn, like, just slightly later on, but that was, like, all mm-hmm. I knew about it. I didn't know about even any of the rest of it. Good. Yeah, and so, and then Tessa Blanchard, all that she said is the only person that she replied to directly was Chelsea Green, and she just says, I've never been anything to ki- but kind to you, you know, kind of went on and mentioned that you have my number. She did. And then... Oh, and then she did like a blanket like yes. statement where she just says, not true, period. That's my statement. And the most attention I'll give it because of how actually ridiculous it is. Se- always says the person who is absolutely guilty of whatever they're being like yelled at for. <laughs> That's a very like, uh, yeah, you're totally like this way. It does feel that way. And it's it's a bummer. Um, but yeah, it's because it's one of those things where now all of the, but if you go to any of those tweets and you start reading down to the the no name people that are replying the the following sure. people that are replying maybe people that showed up because of different podcasts that they listened to discussing mm-hmm. it um the then you get into the tweets of like just so many people like where's the evidence what are you doing I'm like there's oh, five yeah. different people here that are checkmarked on their right. Twitter that are confirming that they've seen this and they're all saying and they were all there they like it's not like they were provably just jumping in, you know, it yeah. seems like when there's that many people that quickly, it seems like there's something there to it, probably, you know? Absolutely. And, yeah, why would that many people do that? You know what I mean? Like, because that was another thing that I was going to make a point about with this whole situation. It was just like, it's really nice to see, you know, and in this example, the women's community of wrestling, you know, supporting one another when one person does come forward. You know what I mean? Because that's always the thing. I mean, mm-hmm. whether it's this or any other awful thing that happens to people, you know, victims coming forward and saying something, you know, that that support from others means the world to them. And that's the kind of thing that allows people to feel comfortable to move to come forward and to expose bad people in the wrestling world, whether it's for being mean or yeah. whether it's for being a piece of shit, you know, so my favorite part about and, and not that's a weird way to phrase it. But my, my thing that I saw that I enjoyed the most was the blowback to some of the other individuals that are just members of the TNA roster saying, well, look at the timing of this. (laughs) 
get out it's, of town. It's like, yeah, it's like, dude, I mean, I get that this is not good timing for you and for this show right. and for everything, but right. it's like when it's, it, when, when it's one of your own per- roster that started the downfall, like the avalanche, like she yeah. yelled into the mountainside. She didn't just. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she, this she doesn't brought happen. this here. This doesn't happen without her smart ass backhanded yeah. kind of tweet, you know? Yeah, yeah, people would have just been quiet about it and ignored the match if that's, you know, the people that are, you know, now claiming all these terrible things about her. But but she she literally put that out there, and these people that have wanted to probably explode for a long time were just like, you know what? That's it. <laughs> like, how dare you, you know what I mean, like, tweet yeah. what you tweet, you know, so. Because this goes back to, remember, we discussed this on the podcast. I was trying to remember which one for reference, but I couldn't. But, you know, I remember around the time when Ricochet got signed, and her, it was, and her and him and Tessa mm-hmm. broke up near that, that same time, and there was all those rumors about her not being brought in because of her attitude. Oh, okay, yeah. I forgot about and we, that. Yeah. And, and we talked a little bit about that and how you know the the timing of it all was very strange, and for her and you know Ricochet to part ways the way they did around, did around that same time. Yeah, uh, you know, so there may have been some rumblings of this not long ago. It's just weird, also that. I mean, so far, it seems like all of the comments that I've seen are mostly about, like, what happened in Japan. Like, why was she, like, such a different person? Right. Like, is she still doing this kind of shit today? Like, is she, or did she just, like, when she got back, she was like, all right, I'm, I'm done doing that shit in Japan. Like, it's just weird to be, like, this different person in, in another country. Well, yeah, you're right. Yeah, there seems to be, like, a group of them that were all together on something, some tour in Japan that yeah. uh, a lot of this seems to be coming from. So, oh, yeah, just... You know, again, on the eve of her probably being crowned the champion mm-hmm. by what I would I would imagine, you know, you've done you've come this far and this is going to be the press, you know? Yeah. New Impact champion reportedly bully in <laughs> locker rooms. You know, it's like way to go Impact, way to go. <laughs> oh goodness. All right, so that's a look here at the current world. Tony, anything else before we move on to uh the current world as well because we're not really doing much time to travel today. No, no, it's, uh, you know, just unfortunate. All right. So that brings us now to an event that happened about a week ago at this point. Uh, a little bit more, actually, now that I look at it, eight days ago. Uh, so while you're listening, you, you know, close to the release, it won't mean a whole lot, but for the benefits of the future folks, we thought we'd do a, a somewhat of a four things. Originally, I was going to do all four four things, but we started talking about, like, news, and it's like, I don't want to do bad news. So let's just do <laughs> two of the four things, but I'm still going to play the stinger because I'm stubborn like that. The Four Things Time Capsule. All right, because we can't get those rose-colored glasses till we're at least distant in the future to be able to look back and see the good things that happened today. So, (laughs) number three, let's take a look at the box office, Tony. Here are the top five films of last weekend. Do you know a little bit about where some of the movies are right now? Have you been to the theaters lately? Um, I, you know, it's been a little while, but I mean, I, I always follow like the box office stuff. Okay. Okay. Well, number five this week was the grudge, which I did not know had been made. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not been very this. well, it's not been very well reviewed by the horror community. So, well, it's only got 17% on rotten tomatoes, which sometimes the movies that are well reviewed on by the horror community will still have that percentage on Rotten Tomatoes, True. but this time seems like both are in, in order there. Uh, they made $11.4 yeah. $11. million last weekend to put them in yeah. fifth spot. Number four, 
Another movie that I thought was a joke people were talking about for the longest time, but then I did see the preview for it. Frozen 2 uh, came out and made $11.9 million at number four. You, you didn't think that it was a real thing? Like that they weren't going, that they hadn't made a second Cause, one? Because they usually don't make them that quickly or they don't put them directly into theaters. It's like a DVD release if yeah. it's, you know, a Disney sequel. Um, I don't well, know. Well, don't forget how, don't forget how long ago that first one actually was. It just seems like it was yesterday. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, so yeah, that one has 77% on Rotten Tomatoes, so at least seems uh, relatively positive there. Number three, the highest rating on Rotten Tomatoes for the top five is 95% for Little Women at number three on the box office. Seems to be the kind of movie that if you're into that kind of thing, it's people like it. So This is a movie that I have a, a connection to as a kid because this and Angels in the Outfield and E.T. and Close Encounters oh. of the Third Kind, uh, those four okay. movies were the only VHSs that my grandma had. And E.T. and Close Encounters of the Third Kind were too slow for all of us to watch over and over again. So we only watched Little Women and Angels in the Outfield for like a solid four <laughs> years at my grandma's house. Um, and so I remember watching it a whole lot. My sisters loved it. So like they all went and saw this on opening weekend and were super oh, okay. excited, thought it was great. I haven't okay. seen it, but I'm assuming it's okay. It seems like everyone's saying it's good. I don't know that I'm going to go out of my way to watch it. If it's on TV or right. something, I might check it out. But uh number two. In the world of the box office, along Christmas time, you know, a lot of big movies now are coming out. This one was one of those big movies from a big studio here. Jumanji, the next level came out, making yeah. 71% at Rotten Tomatoes, making 71, getting 71% at Rotten Tomatoes. They made 26.3 million to take number two. Yeah, I liked the first one a lot. Like, it was one of those movies that, like, I didn't watch for a long time because I was like, eh. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I'm going to like it. <laughs> and then I watched it and I was like, wow, that was actually a lot of fun and was pretty good. So. Mm-hmm. The, and the second one looks funny. You got Danny Glover and Danny DeVito being old men and making old man jokes. So that'll be fun. Yeah, I'm interested to see exactly what the actual like setup is for for the sequel because I haven't ever watched the full well, trailer. I was, I was very confused when I watched the well, I will, preview. Well, it, so the main kid from the first one looks like he gets sucked in somehow. And then like when they turn it on and they do the whole like character deal. Mm-hmm. Danny DeVito and Danny Glover are in the bodies of like I think The Rock and Kevin Hart or something. Okay, then, so it's just new people in the in the characters. And then the other two are, you know, uh, kids from the first movie, but they're swapped or oh. something. I can't remember. But it's, yeah. al- it's also strange that they went like halvesies with it. <laughs> You'd think right, they just I know. It's- a full set of new four people or a- <laughs> right, exactly. So okay. Yeah, so that's kind of what's going on there. All right. Uh, number one, a movie that I know you saw. I'm still trying to get to the movie theaters to see, but I'm trying not to leave my mother out because she doesn't have anybody else to go see it with. Uh, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker is at number yeah, one. Listen, yeah. 53% yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, $34.5 million. I'm not looking for any of your fire out there, folks, okay? So <laughs> don't need to take offense to this. <laughs> but I liked it a lot. I thought it was really good and a, you know fitting into this trilogy all right so for for context what was your opinion of the first of the trilogy and then the second of the trilogy briefly well i liked the first movie you know it was entertaining i could definitely see where a lot of people were upset about it kind of being a retread you know yeah. and i think a, a such a focus on the classic characters did hurt the development of the characters you're supposed to care about because i was talking about that when it's like I don't really care about these people a whole lot. You know, like they didn't yeah. like do a great job of pulling you in. Um, I really liked the second one. 
Um, I don't know if I liked it more than the third one. I've seen a lot of people saying that they still preferred like the last Jedi over or okay. whatever. Yeah. Over rise of Skywalker. All right. But, but I think it's a tonal thing. There was also, a, you know, yeah. there was a little bit of a different tone to the second movie than what JJ did. You know, he, he kind of lightens things up. So definitely, definitely. So, um, interesting. That's, um, I'm, I can't wait to see this one so that I can then weigh in on my opinion of, of all of that. So right. that's the, the current world of, of movie theaters right now. Obviously Christmas kind of being dominated by star Wars once again this year. Uh, I know that in 2019, I did see a, a headline of Disney, I think made like 84% of the entire box office. Uh, money. So, you know, it's great. Great. You love to see it. All this, all this money going to one company. It's fantastic. Uh, number four in America at the top of the charts is the peak mumble music master post Malone with his song circles. But I didn't want to play that. And I thought since we're going to Japan, let's check out what Japan's got at the top. So. Okay. Here's the number one song in Japan. It's from the artist, at least listed on the, the billboard as official Hyge Dism with their song Pretender. There you go. Huh. Okay. I feel like it sounds like the last Japanese song that we played on here, but <laughs> it seems it seems pleasant enough. Yeah. I was wondering. I imagine is that one of those boy bands? Because at least I know in over here in the U.S., like I, that's all I see people talking about. They love these well, the Japanese boy bands. A lot of the, those you're seeing are the Korean boy, boy bands. Ah, but, okay. But yeah, I think that it's, it, it's a little bit looking like that. But this almost looks more like a Maroon Five situation where they're all at least playing instruments, but. Okay. You know, whatever. It, the the actual music to it, like the more instrumental part at the very beginning, is a lot more catchy. I really like the beginning of it, but there wasn't any mm-hmm. lyrics, so I thought I should play a clip of that. Um, so, so there you I go. See. That is the song "Pretender" by uh, possibly pronounced official Hyge Dism. <laughs> I don't know. We'll figure it out. Uh, so yeah, that finally brings us to our main reason for being here: New Japan Pro Wrestling's Wrestle Kingdom 14, the dash for the double gold. When 40,008 people filed into the Tokyo Dome for night one, and then, like, I think 30,070 or something would be there for night two. But anyways, Tony. Well, what's up with that? Well, well, that's the difference between a Saturday night and then a Sunday night for people that have to go ah. to work the next morning, I think. Okay, that makes sense. That's that's. Uh, I've been listening a lot to WH Park, and he's he's very much in the know on like bus times and having to get home and having to deal with that. It's like you don't think about that when you're just over here, but it's like yeah, he's like that's a big reason for a lot of people just not going to shows. <laughs> it's like, if it if it gets out too late and the bus is down, then you, there's no way, or you know, the train's not running, then there's no way to get home. Well, so, that makes sense. Anyways. Uh, Tony, with with two nights here, like we said, I I, I had assu- assumed that we would be getting shorter, but we didn't. It's five hours each night. Uh, when yeah. I told you that, what went through your head? Were you about to cancel one of these nights on me, or did you kind of still go in wanting to see all of this? No, I mean I wanted to see all this. Um, it's different though when like you have to when you like watch something like this, and then when you watch something like this, and you try to like take notes and you yeah. know. Pick up on noteworthy things that you can discuss on a podcast about it. So true. It'd been one thing if I could just like had turned this on and then like went about my business, you know, <laughs> while it was happening. But 
Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's, you know, no, I, I mean, I, I definitely wanted to watch it. It's something that we, you know, we do every year and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't regret it by any means. It was, um, a really good show both nights, you know? All right. All right. So yeah, we've got the, the big story of the night, at least leading into this was that the, it's the first year where they've decided to do these two nights. And the first night, there's a match for the intercontinental champion and a match for the heavyweight championship. And then the next night, the two winners of those will have a match for both belts to not unify technically, but to get the first double champion. Exactly. Yeah, the double dash for the gold. Which I I will say just before we get into this, being that this is two nights and just not to like completely review everything already, but just I think that you could have easily made this into like the first night is just Wrestle Kingdom and then the second night is New Year's Dash just right. on a bigger scale with the dash for the gold being your main event. Like it's it's the names already there with the dash thing. Why didn't right. we connect these? But anyways, no, you're not wrong. I it's a really good point actually. I have no idea why they didn't do that. Oh goodness. Anyway, so the start of the show, we've got Kevin Kelly on the mic along with Chris Charlton, Juicy Gino Gambino, and Rocky Romero. So a four-man team. I was a little uh worried that this wasn't going to work out great, but they do a good job of kind of like Chris Charlton will just lay out for a lot of the stuff. Rocky Romero will lay out for a long yeah. periods of time. Uh and yeah. it seems like it flows pretty well. No, I love this. I love this entire commentary team. Like I really did on this night, especially or these two nights. Uh, they just all work really well together. It's nice not having the like alpha male like Dick, you yeah. know, Don Callis there, <laughs> kind of like sucking all the cool out, you know, taking up all the air, you know, kind of sucking all the air out of the room. Yeah, uh, these four guys all work well together. They all play off of each other very well. Um, and Gino, it cracks me up because. And this is a reference that most people won't get, and I just, but I, I every time he talks, I can't stop hearing it. Is I don't know if you ever watched the Larry Bundy videos on YouTube, Mm-mm. the like uh, video game review guy. No, he's he's done a lot. He's been on for a long time. He's done a lot of videos, and he still does them today. But he's his whole thing is he's got this "Hello, you" is his like <laughs> you know I'm Larry Bundy, and this is you know that's yeah. like his voice. And Gino just sounds exactly like him. It, <laughs> I, it's all I think. It's what I think about the whole like the whole time he's talking. Are you sure it's not him? It's not him. No, no, oh, okay. it's not him. I've seen <laughs> I've seen both men. You know, I've seen them physically, and like, no, gotcha. that's not the case. Okay, yeah, Gino's one of those guys, man. I remember when they first brought him in, and he was just part of the the New Japan Rumble like three years ago or two years ago, whatever. Yeah, and and just thinking like, what is this weird character? Like what is happening right. and not liking any of it, but man, on the mic and on the on the announce team, he's really won me over a whole lot. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's different. There's times tonight where he'll just like take over calling play by play for long stretches, and I don't know if that's something yeah. that like Kevin's like trying to foster in him or something, but it seems right. to work out pretty well. Like he does a good job, even being the heel guy, just kind of yeah. calling what's happening on screen. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, but no, I was uh, I'm a, I'm a fan of the commentary. So I was really a little disappointed here because my notes for the first night, there's going to be sporadic moments of me mentioning, when's the stardom match? When's that stardom match going to be? Are they going to put it here? Is it going to be here? I thought it'd be on the pre-show. What, what's happening? It's yeah. They just, you just can't watch it. So (laughs) that's great. It happened. It was the dark match before the our first match here, which is technically considered also a dark match. Um, True. 
It's weird. Um, yeah, so match number one, it's the uh, traditional vets versus young boys kind of thing, but it's a little bit less of the vets this time. Um, we've got Togi Makabe, Tomoaki Hanma with your vet contingent, well, teaming up with Yoto Suji and Yuya Uemura, taking on Toa Hanare, Carl Fredericks, Clark Connors, and excuse me, Alex Coughlin. And what is I would learn as the match got going and as I started paying attention to who was on each team, the LA Dojo versus the New Japan Dojo. Yes, which is this is something that uh, I don't know. The last time we reviewed something with this has kind of been going on. Like this has been this a running deal, kind of. Yeah, this has been uh, this has been something that I've enjoyed every time that we've sat down and watched the New Japan show. They've had a little bit of this storyline, and it's just been continuing for so long now that I love that these guys just get fired up anytime they get a chance to go at each other. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we hear that uh, Yoda Sasuji is the 600th man to enter the Tokyo Dome. You know, under mm-hmm. you know, a, the start current rule. to a lot a lot of very specific. Uh, in in weird number stats that Chris Charlton would be throwing our way here tonight. <laughs> like <laughs> I appreciate him, but it is just one of those things where it's like, who did the who took the time to count that? <laughs> right. Yeah, and as far as um, you know, these young lions and specific, specifically the LA Dojo goes, uh, Clark Connors actually had a pretty big summer as he and TJP were part of the tag league. So that's a pretty nice. big deal for a young guy in his position. Yeah. No, they've they've really been putting over this Clark, you know, Connors guy a whole lot. They really yeah. they see seem to see a lot in him. Yes, um, yeah, good stuff, definitely. So yeah, you know, our usual gist is we kind of walk you through the match, but tonight we kind of are skipping over a lot of it. Like I've got some little notes here and there on some of these matches of like segments that I really really enjoyed, but for the most part, it's I don't have a lot during the match in my notes. Um, I don't right. know about you, Tony, but I wrote way more than I should have for everything. So no, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I I will say Hanare looks really good here, um, and they seem to really kind of do a good job of maybe spotlighting him a little bit here in this in this match, as he's kind of one of those guys that he's not really officially one of the young lions, but he's kind of felt like he's been kind of trapped hanging out with the young lions for the last year. Well, I mean, he definitely hasn't like graduated past it yet. I wouldn't say like, I mean, he might not be still considered one, but well, you know, he, he hasn't really moved past this stage. It doesn't seem like no, and and but he, you know, he's a guy that came in from, you know, from the what was it? Where was he at before this? New Zealand, uh, I believe. Yeah. So he came from New Zealand, and he he already had a gimmick where he didn't like go down to the young lion black trunks sort of thing is what I mean. Like that's where like he's, right. he kind of has always looked different. He's always felt like he's not necessarily a young lion, but he is been, or he has been in these matches at least. I see what you mean. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. Um, we hear that Okada was in the first main event of the decade. So, and here he will be in the, the you know, final main one? event. Well, the main event of the first of the next oh. decade. So. <laughs> yeah. I was confused for a second. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, but like you said, uh, Hanare kind of shines here to Suji as well. Those two, I thought, um, worked really well together Tsuji rolls through a sunset flip attempt and locks on a Boston crab, which Chris Charlton is much kinder this time around in explaining <laughs> its significance when Chris Jericho uses it instead of insulting him. Like it seemed like, yeah. Um, Alex Coughlin would break it up or Alex Coughlin as Gino would call him. Um, <laughs> Tasuji then took Coughlin out with a spear 
Hanari fires up, hits a big clothesline, and Hanari gets the victory with a Uranagi. So in this one, so uh, yeah, your winners: Toa Hanare, Clark Connors, Carl Fredericks, and Alec Conklin. There you go. Um, yeah, I thought it was a good opener. It uh, you know very quick action. It didn't overstay yeah. its welcome. Um, yeah. I did kind of feel like I was uh, kind of pulling for Suji in that match. Mm-hmm. Like I really like him a lot, and I kind of yeah. wish that he would have gotten the win there. But uh, the LA Dojo guys seem to always kind of get the better of the New Japan guys in these matches. <laughs> they really do so far. Yeah, it's like I. <laughs> Which seems odd. You would think maybe it would be the other way around or something. But uh, yeah, this whole group of uh, well, that trio of Connors, Fredericks, and Coughlin. Uh, if you're if if New Japan doesn't lock them up or however that stuff works, like all three of these guys have potential, I think, to go be you know oh, yeah. stars on their own anywhere, and it'll be probably wise of a lot of the smaller to mid-level companies to probably snatch them up as fast as they can, if they can. Well, at the beginning of the match, uh, Kevin Kelly, like, called out, like, the ticket URL for one of these, like, indie companies in North Carolina that's going to have, I think, Ren Narita and Carl Fredericks ah, on the card. Nice. And that's what I'd say. Yeah. It's like PWX or something like yeah, that. Yeah, used to be that, yeah. Yeah, it looks interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, I also meant to tell you, because now that if we're talking to Young Alliance here, did you see what happened to Kawato? Uh. He lost a hair match, and he got his head shaved. Oh, shit. So he's been... He's been in CMLL, and apparently a lot of people think that, because uh, I think it was the title match, too. Like, I think he lost the title in his hair, and uh, word kind of rumor is that maybe that's the end of the excursion, like that he's going to oh, okay. come back with the head shaved, and that would, it's kind of part of it. So That's interesting. Nice. Yeah. Um, so I, I did do star ratings, but I figured I'd wait till the end for us to do yeah. the traditional uh, you know, thing there. Uh, but yeah, sure. so like you said, Hanare does kind of, or I did think it was a little weird. Like Hanare kind of like overstays his time in the ring. Like he's just he's out there for like everyone leaves, and he's just yeah. like, yeah, I'm not I'm not going yet. I got to get a little <laughs> bit more of this. <laughs> Hanging out for a minute. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Soaking it in, soaking the win. Uh, but anyway, at least if there's one thing you can say about these shows, we do move quickly from yes. match to match, and that is the case with match number two on the pre-show. Technically, here it's Ten Cozy. Satoshi Kojima and uh, is this a Hiroyoshi Tenzan? Is that yep, what it is? Yep. Yeah. yeah, Hiroyoshi Tenzan taking on the team of Yuji Nagata and Manabu Nakanishi. Oh man, I I always really happy to see Yuji Nagata. I wish they'd stop chaining him to Manabu Nakanishi. <laughs> well, because yeah, because it's like man, I wish Nagata and like Liger had been better friends. <laughs> I would yes, I would have liked to have seen him involved in that because Nagata can still go pretty well, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's he's a lot of fun. And Manabu Nakanishi, you know, his his big spots are fun. But other than that, it's like, dude, this guy is. It's yeah. like, yeah, he's not fun. You're not. You're really not doing your knees any more favors. But but I will say, Hiroshi Tenzan looking way better this year than he did the last few times I've seen him. Like he looks like he's had a decent amount of time off, maybe. But then they start yeah. talking about like tag leagues or something, and I think that he was just involved in that. So he maybe. He, so maybe I'm wrong on that. So. He, yeah, he looks a lot better at this point. I don't know if he got you know some baby blood I mean, injected into his knees or something or what, but he looks a lot better. Ten Cozy as a team. Here's something that I would suggest. If I was the NWA in its current incarnation, that's like a, oh. that's a team I would try to bring into the fold. You Dude, know? that you just blew my mind right now. Like that is, I want to see that for sure. I want to see these guys in that fucking studio in Atlanta right now. Yeah, I just. <laughs> Because, th- like you said, I mean, they clearly at this point, they're not going to let them go out there with God, you know, the Gorillas of Destiny or mm-hmm. 
anybody like anybody like that, it seems like. But man, I think they'd be great to come in and work like the NWL NWA Power Hour style of a show, you know. And I think could be a you know a good a big a big pickup for him there. But anyway, um, pick up Sneaky Style, the Rocky Romero rap album. If you're out there, <laughs> as we hear at the beginning here. Um, this Rocky Romero is, if nothing else, a salesman. Like he never takes oh, yeah. a second not to put himself over here with all this stuff that he's got going on. No, he's great. Um, Yuji Nagata has been on this card every year since 1994. It's incredible. And, yeah, his 44th <laughs> match overall. Uh, Tenzan and Kojima are six-time IWGP Tag Team Champions, getting their credentials out there. And uh, Mandibu Nakanishi, I think he fought Brock Lesnar one time, and that's kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, he, he's he's just a guy that the crowd in Japan seems to love. But man, yeah. as far as a foreigner, just seeing him at this age, it's like it's tough to get up for Mandibu Nakanishi here. Well, um, sadly, and perhaps on the positive side of things, this is it for him. Like th- yeah, I was wondering if that had been made official because he looks like he's retiring at the end of this I- match. At some point, I feel like on this, it gets brought up because that's the only reason why I'm thinking of it. Like he's, or maybe they announced it on Twitter or something, but yeah, he's going to have like a final, okay, you know, thing and it's happening very soon. Like so. a new beginning or something. Yeah. I don't remember something like that. So yeah, it, the match ends with 10 cozy hitting a 3D a little poorly on Nakanishi and then Kojima with the world's strongest lariat pins Nakanishi one, two, three, and your winners are 10 cozy. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I was glad that they, this was on the card. I did think, like I said, Tenzon looked a lot better than the last seen him, but um, it was it was a nice little short match. I didn't really think a whole lot about it too much. Yeah, no, it was fine. Like you said, yeah, it was a nice short match, and it's uh, good to see all four of these guys. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I like I put my star rating because I had a format going, and then all of a sudden, I have all these notes of like, is Nakanishi retiring? What is he doing? He's like in the ring, bowing to all the sides. The announcers aren't talking about it for some reason. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, they don't he know slaps what's going like on. every person's hand on the way back. So I was like, I think he's yep. done. Uh, yep. <laughs> so yeah, so that was all pre-show because now we have a little bit of a break where it's like 10 minutes you have to skip in the video. Um, <laughs> and uh, then we get the opening graphic package, which I really enjoyed. I thought they did a good job. I love the like old school 80s laser roller coaster graphics that they were using mm-hmm. for, for the match card. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, now the open video uh, was really impressive. It uh, told the stories fairly well. It still finds room for three Japanese languages and can't find room for an English translation anywhere on the screen, but that's that's here and there. Hey, (laughs) first of all, there are plenty of people that will scream you down on Twitter for making a ignorant comment like that, DP. (laughs) How dare you think that they should even have to provide an English commentary? You should be watching it in Japanese anyway. God, I'm so sick of seeing all that out there over the last couple weeks. Like... We don't need to language shame one another, folks. Okay, oh, it's watch it however you want. But yeah, no, I, but I appreciate that the video. It doesn't really matter. Like, you know what I mean? Like they get the point across. You can, you can, you know, it's yeah. The story tells itself pretty well visually, regardless of the language barrier. Absolutely, definitely. Um, yeah. So the U.S. title, the junior title, and the IWGP title are the three matches that I, I was like, okay, these are the ones that I want to see on this card. Oh, yeah. Here. Um, yeah, Tony, uh, we go right into match number three here, the uh, penultimate match in Liger's career, because for some reason they're like, let's stretch this out to two nights instead of just one. Uh, but this mm-hmm. one, a, a lot of people are really looking forward to it. It was Ryusuke Taguchi, Naoki Sano, Sano, Sano uh, Shinjiro Otani, and Tatsuit Takawa. 
uh, Takaiwa. I I really am struggling with these names here. Along with at the ringside, Kenyaki Kobayashi, a uh, very old man as well, taking on the team of Tatsumi Fujinami, the Great Sasuke, Tiger Mask, and Jushin Thunder Liger with their manager El Samurai. <laughs> yeah, El Samurai. Uh, looking his age a little bit there as he entered. Like, yeah, people were like, "Yes, he was asked to wrestle, but he chose." It's like, yeah, look at him. Like, yes. you know, he looks like a boogie woogie man or something. <laughs> yeah, he definitely looks a little older. And, and I'd sent you the text. Where I was just like, "Yeah, I feel good that Samurai said no to this this match." He's right. like, "No, I'll stand in the corner. You can, I'll put the mask on. How about that? I won't tie the bottom of it, but I'll put the mask on." Um, yeah. Yeah, Charlton, I thought, did a good job explaining kind of everybody's relationship to Liger. Yes. Uh, you know, I mentioned Takawa was his rival in the late 90s. Um, Otani, for some of you out there, might remember he was the first WCW Cruiserweight champion. Ooh. And, uh, yeah, Naoki Sano was the first man to enter the Tokyo Dome. Um, you know, not ever, ever, but <laughs> New Japan context. Gotcha. Uh, Liger's the only man who has wrestled every incarnation of Tiger Mask, which I think is pretty cool. That is cool. Uh, Great Sasuke, you know, was the first J Crown winner, and uh, you know, goes back. I loved his mask too, that like half Sasuke, half Liger mask that he mm-hmm. had on. That was cool. That was pretty cool stuff there. Um, yeah, just you know, a lot of history here with all these men involved. Um, with you know, Liger himself, Fujinami being his, you know, a mentor of his. It's kind of yeah his significance, and Which then Taguchi's just there because people like him. Like it's just crazy to me that like Fujinami, they tell us is the man that inspired Liger to become a professional wrestler. Like, <laughs> yeah. how is he still in the match that he's retiring? <laughs> Jushin Thunder Liger, a man who's like the Cal Ripken Jr. of wrestling, and, and right. the guy that inspired him is actually going to last longer than he is in the ring. <laughs> these these Japanese pro wrestlers, man, these guys. <laughs> They either break their bodies down completely over the course of their careers, or they somehow manage to be in like wonderful shape until like the yes. day they die. You know. Like <laughs> oh goodness! Yeah, Chris Charlton tells us that this match is match three thousand five hundred and fifty for Liger as he steps into the ring, and Kevin Kelly is just like, you know, I'd have been happy just watching all these entrances, but they're actually going to have a match. And I was like, yeah, you almost forget about yeah. that after you watch ten entrances. Yeah. Well, and speaking of their entrances. Jusen Liger is the only man who has an interest that they don't have to edit due to copyright issues. It's like, what yeah. are all you old men coming out to? Like, <laughs> Elvis. Get in line, you bunch of rebels. <laughs> oh, yeah, it must be some music that they're really attached to because they're, yeah, nothing, nothing's getting onto the internet version. Um, uh-uh. Very similar to Chris Jericho on night two. Uh, so, yeah, so Kevin Kelly, you know, like I said, he said he'd be happy just to watch this. And I was like, oh, man, there's an even an old man referee as well, as they tell us who this man was. And I forgot to write it down. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember either. It's fine. Don't feel bad. <laughs> so, you know, the match is fine. It's uh, it's good. I do. They do a good job of, like, kind of letting the guys that have invented holds kind of do their holds or have their holds put on them. Uh, yeah. Sano is a psychopath and decides he's going to jump off of shit and like to the floor and yeah. apparently had something to prove here tonight. But, uh, I, I was just, I, I was impressed with the way that this match was put together, but I like, you know, Taguchi being the guy that gets the pin on, uh, on Mr. Liger here. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that, you know, that's yeah, definitely probably a, a nice moment there for Ryusuke. Uh, yeah, like you mentioned, everybody getting their stuff in, um, 
Liger, you know, Shotes all around for people. Uh, Sasuke, you know, continues to be insane. You know, missing a you know Swanton bomb at one time. Yeah, Sasuke um, was crazy too. <laughs> the, but yeah, the thing that that you gotta like if you're going to go watch this or if you're thinking about watching this, the thing to pay attention to in this is the crowd. Like just everything that Liger does, the crowd is here for. Like they're so excited to be in the arena for these last two matches of Liger. And it's very clear that that is like a big draw to this entire show is the is the whole Liger retirement thing because man like the crowd will be huge here and then it'll kind of quiet down for a while till we get to the actual main events later on. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. Yeah, they were definitely really hot for this and excited to uh, see you know Liger out there in one of his final matches. And you know afterwards, um, yeah, I guess the winners. Yeah, T- Ryusuke Taguchi gets the win, so that would make um, he Naoki Sano, Shinjiro, and Otani. And Tatsuhito Takaiwa now, um, are your winners. Tony, are you uh, uh, maybe one of these people on Twitter that would be upset that he would lose to a comedy spot with the bum IA? <laughs> oh, I mean, I I don't care. I mean, if he doesn't care, then why should any of us care, you know? Yeah, no, you're not wrong. I just It made me laugh when I was like, oh, he's doing the, the King of Bum style stuff. All right. Well, the, the finish finish, though, was at least the... You know, reverse power bomb into the face oh, buster. Right? Yeah, so. yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. <laughs> but no, you're right. Yeah, but no, I mean, listen, if Liger doesn't care, then why should why should any of us? Oh yeah. Well, no, that's what Charlton. You know, he says he says you know that's what Liger wanted. You know, he wouldn't. Yeah. He does want to go out pinning people. He wants to lay down. Um. So we're told that tomorrow right. he and Sano will team up versus Ryu Lee, Don't Call Me Dragon, and Hiromu yeah. Takahashi. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> The man that just came back from the broken neck and the man who broke his neck. So, yeah. So Liger bows, hugs his opponents and teammates. It's a great ending. Like, yeah. I, I much preferred the the second the second night of Liger's retirement. But this stuff was good stuff. I thought it was it was entertaining. And the moments were fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, it was it was a better match than I expected. And I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So. Did you expect that Sasuke and Tiger would fall over when they tried to lift Liger onto their shoulders? <laughs> no, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> I I was a little worried. I, I was like, "Uh oh, guys, don't don't go too, don't get too excited here." Yeah, nobody hurt themselves. Um, but that takes us to match number four. It's Los Ingobernables, Bushi, Shingo Takagi, Sanada, and Evil taking on Suzuki Goon, Zack Saber Jr., Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, and El Desperado. Is it? Oh yes, yeah. For some reason, my <laughs> I wrote El Samurai in my notes. <laughs> I, was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, "What?" I wish. If only he'd come out here in this one. <laughs> oh goodness! I did. Get I did there with Shingo and let him just kill him. I enjoyed uh, Charlton and Gino chanting number one on Twitter about uh, talking about you know trending number one for <laughs> New Japan or yeah. whatever. That's good right. stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. We hear. You know, so, so as glad as you know, Lij is coming out. Evil decided this year that he wasn't going to create some monstrosity of an entrance gear that was going to embarrass him, as he's <laughs> done in years past. So he simplified things a little bit. He himself was very close to being a part of the double dash for the gold, as he fell short in a match to take Ibushi's uh, Tokyo Dome opportunity away. So Evil was. 
you know, he's he's inching up there. I think he'll be in the mix by the end of this next year. You think so? I mean, that's... It, I do. It seems like the story that they've been kind of telling with him is him being frustrated at not kind of being able to get into that level of the of the thing. So, yeah, I, that could be the case for sure. He's He's been putting on great matches. Like, he's one of those guys that when you tell me that, oh, man, an evil is going to be in the match, I don't get excited. But then once the match right. happens, I'm usually into the end by the... Like, he pulls me in by the end of the match. No, I think he's underrated. I think him and Sonata both need to stop being a tag team because <laughs> I think they both have a lot of value as singles wrestlers, you know? Yeah, true. Um, so, yeah, so speaking of LIJ entrances, as, as uh, Shingo's coming out, we're told that he has wrestled more matches than anyone in 2019 and has 47 more wins than he does losses on the year. Yeah. So I, I didn't I didn't catch the actual number of losses or wins, but I you know that at least the differential is forty seven. So maybe it was forty eight wins and one loss. I don't know what the actual no, he, number. No, is. yeah, he had a, he he he's another one who had a great year that I think will be a major player. You know, upcoming in you know twenty twenty. And of course, with you know the Suzuki goons coming out here, I I loved the interaction with Gambino and Kevin. With uh, Kevin, can I leave the table? <laughs> the yeah. Table, Kevin. He's like, "What's rule number one? Don't make eye contact with Minoru Suzuki." <laughs> like, all right. Yep. He's like, "Just don't look at him. You'll be okay." It's just that simple. Yes, as we see, um, there as there's just young boys lying around ringside <laughs> that we didn't necessarily see get laid out by probably Suzuki mm-hmm. and Zack Saber Jr. is just stomping on them as he like walks by. <laughs> yeah, it's you know it seems like they're very clearly like signaling here with this entrance that it's like more of a focus on Zack Saber Jr. because we come out to yeah. Zack Saber Jr.'s music, we don't come yeah. out to Kaze Ninare. We you know. Uh, and, and honestly, I'm pretty sure Suzuki just disappears in the middle of this match because my notes, I, I didn't see him leave. I don't know where he disappeared to. Like he's in it for a second and then all of a sudden he's just gone and we don't see him anymore. No. Like, cause he doesn't leave with the other three. No, no. Yeah. Cause this was, yeah, this match was basically here, um, as a preview of the British heavyweight championship match that will be taking place on night two between Sonata challenging Zack Sabre Jr. So yeah, this was the start of where I was like, this feels like it should have been on the road Two show. Exactly. <laughs> no. Yeah. That's pretty, uh, pretty much exactly but right there. The reason I mentioned the, the Minoru Suzuki thing is because, you know, there's been rumors online that he is ready to leave, that he's upset with his place in the company that he wanted out ah. and that this was his final match of the okay. of the company and there was even wh park claiming that he would be at the noah show during night two's event and actually wrestling ah. for noah because he was already done um so there was all these rumors and it felt kind of like by doing this and by putting zach saber jr kind of out in front i don't know if they purposely did it but it definitely played into those rumors quite a bit where after night one people were like well that might have been the it for, done from Suzuki, i guess yeah evil hitting a bronco buster on him was all he could take so <laughs> Uh, yeah, he yeah he hits evil with a chair, and that's you know almost it. Yeah, he has an exchange with him, and um, eventually Tai Chi comes into the match and rips his pants off. Yeah, which always makes everybody very excited. And that's you don't really see anything from Suzuki. Uh, you get a paradise lock on Desperado, um, which I always enjoy. He tries to put it on Zack Saber Jr., um, but that of course doesn't work because he's Zack Saber Jr. And I would never expect yeah. that move to work. So. <laughs> Well, and Zack Sabre Jr. is trying to avoid it specifically because he's been upset with Sonata. The, the video for Night 2 is ridiculous. It seems like this entire match stems from <laughs> Sonata did a submission hold, and Zack Sabre Jr. is like, you're stealing my gimmick! <laughs> that was it. Um, 
But yeah, so this one ends with Zack Sabre Jr. putting a submission on Bushi. It's one of the ones that apparently Chris Charlton knows the name to, but I always think they're just making them up on the spot. <laughs> Probably, yeah. It's a Rings of Saturn-like move where he's just is stretching him, you know, every direction that he's oh, not yeah. supposed to bend. Definitely. Um, so yeah, it was it was a fine match. Didn't stand out to me though, and definitely felt like no. something that could have been skipped if you were looking to shorten these shows. Um, but yeah. There we go. They leave. Suzuki's not with them. I was very confused and worried that Suzuki might be gone. But that brings us to match number five, Tony, which is another match that probably could have been on a Road 2 show. It's Chaos versus the Bullet Club. The team of Chaos is Hiroki Goto, Yoshihashi, Toriyano, and Tomohiro Ishii, taking on the team of Kenta, Chase Owens, Bad Luck Fale, and Yujiro Takahashi. Yeah, again, because this is a match that is being used as a preview yes. to a title match, a never-opened match that will be taking place on night two between Goto and Kenta. But yes, we're going to get all the Chaos Bullet Club fun we can handle here. The biggest um, revelation for me during the entrances is, holy shit, Tomohiro Ishii doesn't have a match on Wrestle Kingdom. After the year that he had in 2019, like he was in so yeah. many great fucking matches, and he's just left doing nothing this weekend. And it's like, what the fuck is going on with that? Like, why do they just drop the ball with him specifically? Well, Tanahashi barely had anything going on. Like until the Jericho thing happened, he didn't, you know, there wasn't anything. So it's, you know, I I guess not an awful problem to have if you're new Japan that you've got, you know, so many, so many people here. Um, Yeah. It's just almost not enough to to go around Uh, the beginning of one of my favorite running happenings on this show is the introduction of these random rugby players that <laughs> I, I'm sure if you're in Japan, uh, this oh. is blasphemy, but you know that I know what, I don't know who they are. No. And the English commentary team doesn't really do a great job of like putting them over. Um, well, they, they're they apparently a, a fairly job. big deal. They don't do a What's great that? job of putting themselves over. They come off like the biggest douchebags during this entire right. show. Like, and then here we are there. Cause we, did they show us them already? I feel like we saw them before they were officially we Bullet Club have. members. Yeah, but they have their Bullet Club tracksuits. This, of course, is upsetting to Gino, who still hasn't gotten his tracksuit, apparently. <laughs> and also, when did Kenta become a vampire? When was, when did the Fang thing become like his? I was very Does confused. he have fangs? I didn't notice. He's like his specific logo of like go to sleep club has oh, like fangs on it. Right. And like everything that he has has fangs. Well, now's is a good time to talk about this. Like the bullet club is way too fragmented. Like it is. What do you mean? It doesn't. Feel, well, it just doesn't feel like a union. Like it feels like there are just people that are in bullet club, but there's not like <laughs> the group itself doesn't feel like it's a whole thing, you know, like, yeah. Jay White and Gato are kind of over here, and Jay White barely looks like he's a part of the Bullet Club, other than yeah. like doing the too sweet thing. Kenta kind of feels like he's his own like thing that he's like associated <laughs> with the Bullet Club, but it doesn't Kenta, feel like he's in it. Kenta feels like he should be the leader of the Bullet Club, right? But they right. already made Jay White the leader before they had Kenta even signed, so they couldn't yeah. do that. <laughs> and then you got like Tamatanga and like you know the Gorillas of Destiny guys that feel like they're their own. Like kind of group yeah. within Bullet. Like it's they, just they tried to make their own group for like a week, and then New Japan was like, "We're not doing that anymore." <laughs> we're, right. We're so oh. no, you're not wrong though. You're not wrong. I can understand what the, you're saying. I just miss the days of like coming out to the Bullet Club theme song, and everybody was wearing a Bullet Club T-shirt. You know what I mean? And like yeah. it was, 
Yep. Just kind of had that like NWO feel to it. And well, we do get a lot of Yujiro Takahashi and his, uh, lady friend, Peter, uh, coming to the ring who I know you got a a good, a good look at that entrance, right? Oh yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so they, they make their way out here. We get a lot of, a lot of Peter dancing around, um, (laughs) And I, I made the joke because you were t- texting me about watching oh, yeah. this at work. And well, oh yeah, because I was well, yeah, because I was trying to watch some of the show at work when I had some downtime, and that wasn't really a problem at any other time during this show, other than when <laughs> the Bullet Club were coming out with Peter, who it's just still just like cracks me up, like on the show with nothing really suggestive at all at any time. Yes, unless you get you know the American guys out there that can't stop swearing because they think it's funny, I guess, but. Mm. It's like then there's Peter just out there and like <laughs> almost nothing, you know, almost nothing, just getting tight shots of her butt shaking. And it's like okay, <laughs> yeah, no, that's why I, when you had sent me that text, that was kind of my response. Is just like it's just always so shockingly like over the top with how like, just yeah, she's very you know the camera going like real low, shooting up. Oh, the, yeah. It's very much the let the pigeons loose angle every once in a while. Um, yeah, they don't. Yeah, they don't. They don't. They're not subtle about it at all. Chris Charlton, ever the uh, professor here tonight, letting us know that Kenta is unbeaten in the Tokyo Dome at two and zero. But those are both from way back in the day when he was here with Noah, uh, yep. as he beat Kanemaru and Noah for the GHC title. Was his last match here at the Dome? Yeah. So good information there from Charlton about Kenta, man that has a long history in Japan. Uh, just not necessarily in New Japan. Um, I love the <laughs> beginning stuff here with uh, when they're trying to decide who's going to start the match, and Toru is Toru Yano is just adamant that he'll start the match. Like he yeah. he wants to be the first one in, and uh, what he doesn't know is that Bullet Club has also decided their first person, and that's going to be Bad Luck Fale and <laughs> um, fun stuff with Toru when he realizes who it is and. You know, Fale's on all his shit. Toru goes to remove the turnbuckle, and oh. Fale's having none of it. No, that's that's fantastic stuff. But I just because I don't want to get too far away from it during the entrance, the announcements. Once they get into the ring, uh, Chase Owens is doing a very dramatic, uh, you know, Bullet Club gun pointing, you know, intro here. It's right. his big intro at the Tokyo Dome. He's finally not on the fucking undercard officially. And uh, yeah. Yano just douses him with water, and it fucking cracked me up because he looks so <laughs> pissed at Yano when he does it. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome, yeah. Speaking of Chase, what did you think about the fact that he had 40 pinfalls over the course of 2019, uh, only behind Shingo Takagi? Wow, I didn't, I didn't hear that stat. That's actually crazy. Wait, yeah, he Chase took Owens. 40 pinfalls or he won 40, 40 pinfalls? Yeah, yeah, like Chase Owens was a winner and oh, okay. 40 pinfalls over the course of the year. Damn. I mean, it is kind well, of when when he's in these matches, he's kind of the go-to guy where they they let him sell for a little bit, he comes out, then he comes in, hits the package yeah. pile driver and wins. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm sure almost all of those were probably multi-man tag matches, you know, oh, yeah. over the course of the year. For sure. Um, see, so yeah, I did love, you know, before everything got underway, just Kenta and Goto just staring each other down from across the mm-hmm. ring. Like, even while the Yano comedy stuff is happening, I was just like so hyped for this Kenta and Goto match. Like, this is one of the matches that I actually was really looking forward to coming into this one mm-hmm. after the build that they had earlier in the year. Um, 
But yeah, like you said, a great start here with Yano and Bad Luck Fale stuff. Uh, Chase Owens comes in and uh, he his headband ain't got shit on Trent Beretta's headband because it comes flying off almost immediately. Uh, mm-hmm. Bullet Club has a beach party in Tampa. I don't know what they're talking about when they're talking about this. <laughs> yeah. No, that's literally what they're doing. It's just one of those WrestleMania weekend things. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, yeah. I forgot that it's in Tampa this year. Okay, so yeah. Yoshihashi has a new look, Tony. What do you think of the new look Yoshihashi here? I mean, first of all, like, I don't know, other than him, like, not bringing, like, a staff to the ring anymore, I didn't really notice a big change in his look. He looks older, if that's a good thing, I guess. Like, Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I had modern fashion and Christmas as a combo that he has... <laughs> Looks like, um, yeah, I love Yano slapping the shit out of Fale's head and then telegraphing mm-hmm. the low bridge and that stuff. A huge brain buster by Ishii on Bad Luck Fale gets a huge reaction from the crowd in this one. And I think that's something that they did, if I remember right, they did that in the G1 or near the G1 time with him lifting him up, which is always fun to watch. Uh, but the match ends with Goto hitting the Yushigoroshi and the GTR on Yujiro Takahashi and pitting him one, two, three. Your winners. Chaos. Yeah. And then I love Gino's comment. And then those rugby guys didn't do anything. It's like, no. <laughs> I didn't think about that, but you're right. It's <laughs> like, oh. just cracked me up when he said that. Yeah. Good stuff. I like the stuff with Ishii and uh, Fale in the match. Um, yeah. Just two big mountains of men, not, you know, budging for the other. Um, in comparison to the last match we just watched, I thought this is what that match should have been. Like right. this one, everyone kind of got a shine spot. There was something interesting mm-hmm. about the interactions that everybody had. The last one just felt like generic brawling until the the point of the you know the Sonata and and Zack Saber Jr. interaction. Whereas this one, I enjoyed everything about the match, and so like my rating was much higher on this one than the last match. Yeah, no, I can't disagree. Um, I don't know if I'd say mine was much higher, but it was higher indeed, and. Okay. Uh, I know, I know, but I did. I like this one a lot more. Yeah, they told the story a lot better too. Like Sonata and Sabre Jr. had no interaction in the previous match. Yeah, other than that, like quick Paradise Lock thing. Right. That was it. So, yeah, just didn't seem like it made a lot of sense. No. All right, is this next one match six? Yeah, this is match number six. It's for the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Championships. It's Finn Juice, David Finley, and Juice Robinson taking on the champions representing Bullet Club. It's the Gorillas of Destiny, Tonga Loa, and Tamatanga, along with their manager, Jado. Yeah. And uh, Juice Robinson uh, has continued to evolve his look here as we've gone through the year, uh, adding more and taking things away. He's, he's now settled on seemingly fashion police. <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> Juice Robinson's one of those guys where it's like, I mean, whatever. Whatever works for him is fine. But he just kind of goes out of his way to ruin his look at times, I feel like. It's kind of like his goal is like he just he won't accept just being like, you know, a good looking baby face wrestler. Like he's always trying, like (laughs) always doing something kind of like dumb with his hair. Or in this case, he's got like the handlebar mustache that looks kind of ridiculous and. It's you know, it's fine. It is what it is, but it's like I feel like this, he's like the heart, Shawn Michaels of New Japan wrestling, but he just won't accept it. Like he, he he won't accept his sexy boy designation, and it's 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 frustrating to me. Oh goodness, I do love 
how big and unwieldy the tag league trophies are. These guys are having to carry oh, around these gigantic yeah. fucking Y-shaped trophies. <laughs> how long do they have to carry those things before they can finally like stop bringing it with them everywhere? Well, I mean, that's, that is the good thing about New Japan, putting the tag league in like November, December, early December. Right. So it's like, at least they don't have to carry them around for too long. But yeah, they at least have them here. Um, yeah. So they were, Kevin Kelly tells us that surgeons had to rebuild the right shoulder of David Finley. And then like, he like pauses for a second and he goes, they did their best. And I was like, wait, did, did they do something wrong? <laughs> <laughs> no, just that, you know, he's probably going to be hurt again someday and there's not much they can do about it. No, just anytime, if you were reporting a surgery and you just told me, yeah, they did their best. I assume that like, it's about to fall off. <laughs> right. They tried. Uh, it's like those, what is that, progressive or Geico, whatever it is, where it's like, you know, okay isn't good enough whenever the yes. doctor's like, oh, is he good? Eh, he's okay. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? I, don't... I still um, continue the... to love the Gorillas of Destiny music. Oh, yeah. No, they got great music, great energy. I love almost, I mean, just about everything about them. Uh, we hear the tag titles have changed six years in a row, DP. Mm-hmm. Wrestle Kingdom's got a little bit too much of that going on. Yes. Like, yep. Where it's like every belt basically is, cha- you know, changes that, which is I mean, whatever, but it's just when you have Charlton bringing it up in every match, you're like, oh, so <laughs> basically every title changes every year at Wrestle Kingdom. Okay, uh, got it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the tag belts, man. The tag belts are some of the worst as far as Wrestle Kingdom. Like every year yeah. you knew it was changing. I mean, at least at right. this point, we've got a straight two on two this year instead of what we had for like seven years True. with like the the junior tag belts where it was just like, Young Bucks versus whoever else they can find to throw into this right. match. Whoever they can scrape together. Um, Tiger Hattore, who is also winding down um, his career, at least as a referee, I believe he will he has a much more important role than that I'm, backstage, which yeah, I'm sure he'll still be in. I'm pretty sure that they had announced that this is his last like two nights of refereeing, but by the end of it, it seems like that's they didn't really point it out, so I don't know if that's the well, case. <laughs> Like I told you, and I think I just misremember, but it's like, I feel like I've been hearing Tiger Hattori, like this is his last like match or his last <laughs> year for a while now, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know why he rang the bell. Um, nobody was near the ring, but no. whatever. The, the bell rings, yeah, the yeah, match starts. Yeah, because yeah, Finjuice walk out on the ramp, like entrance ramp, to uh, meet the Gorillas of Destiny, and you know, we get a pre-match brawl, mm-hmm. uh, which, of course, doesn't go well for Finn Juice. I mean, I guess it was just them trying to establish their dominance. Yeah, they've got a manager the that it, carries a kendo stick. Maybe don't attack them before they're... <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Gorillas of Destiny are pretty much you know having none of that. No. Oh, I don't know. I didn't really take a lot of like individual notes on spots here, but I do have my first note of the matches. I sleep on David Finley way too much. Like he is good yeah. stuff, and he's he looks great in this match here. Yeah, he looks great. Um, yeah, I was really impressed with him quite a bit. He hits a spear um, at one point on Tangaloa, mm-hmm. and uh, after after he'd gotten his ass kicked and sold and sold and sold for a long time, and both of them were down. That's when we get one. Of, we get a hot tag to Juice, and uh, you know. They love Juice in New Japan. Like, yeah. he is, can seem to do no wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, cannonballs for both members of Gorillas of Destiny. Um, back-to-back leg lariats, drops the gorillas, and he brings Finley back in. Um, so they, you know, they turn the tide after kind mm-hmm. of being down for a long time here against the gorillas. Yeah. Uh, Finley later in the match escapes a magic killer, but got caught in a uh, reverse 3D. You know, kind of the 3DB, as I like to call it. 
Uh, Magic Killer connects, is successful, but Juice breaks up the pin attempt. Uh, they hit a Magic Killer on Juice, and but Jado, in all his uh, evil doings out there, is you know calls for the superpower bomb. Um, instead of going for the pinfall after the magic killer, yeah. Finley counters that with a Hurricanrana on Tangaloa. Um, we think we got the finish here when Finley would roll up Tama, but only gets a two count. Uh, Jado now with the kendo stick shot, but Finley kicks out, much to the surprise of the fans in the Tokyo Dome. Um, just as we wrap things up here, we'd get Tangaloa ducks a punch at him from Juice. Juice, though, drops Jado off the apron, taking him out. We get Pulp Friction on low, which is an unprettier. The left hand of God from Juice, followed by an acid drop. You know, the walking up the rope sliced bread from David Finley. One, two, three. Your winners and new tag team champions, Finn Juice. David Finley and Juice Robinson get the win here over the Gorillas of Destiny. Yeah, so seven years in a row, the IWGP titles have changed hands <laughs> at the Dome. Um, yeah. yeah, I thought it was and a the good grill- match. And the the gorillas of destiny have probably lost them at least four times over the course of those seven years. It's been quite a bit. Uh, the gorillas, you know, still cursing as always throughout this match. I do love that the yeah. announcers now are just straight up saying ape shit for Tangaloa's finisher. They just, whatever. They're yeah. just going to say whatever words they feel like saying now. Uh, right. Kevin Kelly will end both nights saying, God damn you. So whatever. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's a good tag team match. They got me caught up in it by the end. And I just, in my notes, I was like, just don't sleep on David Finley. I was like, his entrance music is awful, but because that's what they played at the end. But <laughs> yeah, but he's a good wrestler. Yeah. And they're even, they're commenting after the match because, you know, uh, there's another man that has an opportunity to take home double gold this weekend. And that's Juice Robinson. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he gets the win here in the tag belts and he will face uh, the winner of the U.S. title match on the second night. So uh, Rocky Romero mentioned to not enjoy those happy beers too much. Yeah. Talking about Juice and David Finley because he's got a big night ahead of him. Yeah, I think he specifically, he calls them happy beers, but earlier in the night they were talking about getting them Zimas because Zima is one of the sponsors of the show. It's on the yeah. the, uh, the desk, whatever, and I guess that's been like the drink that those two have been talking about. Um, but yeah, so match number seven is up next, but I just, uh, before I have my notes, uh, Juice looks like a toned down Jackie Moon at this point um ah okay there you go match number seven though is another big match here on the card one that i was really looking forward to the texas death match you win via submission or count out or a ko it's a little weird but it works pretty well uh it's for the u.s championship death rider john moxley taking on the champion lance archer yeah first of all it's really disappointing that we don't have the shooter with De- with Moxley anymore. Well, he's, he's on his fucking trip, man. I know. He's out of town. I know. I just it's sad. There's no Shota Umino here. Um, <laughs> they should have flown him in just to stand there in his leather jacket next to John Moxley. Damn right they should have. Um, Moxley, if you remember, didn't lose the United States Championship. Yeah. If you're thinking, well, hey, what happened to him being the champion? Well, he couldn't uh, make it to uh, what show was that? It was like King now, of Pro which, Wrestling or yeah, one of, one of the Power Struggle, one of the two. Power Struggle, I think, might have been it. But yeah, so anyway, he wasn't there. They inserted Lance Archer into the match with Juice Robinson, and Lance is the champion. And uh, yeah. yeah, Mox is back for revenge. Yes, Mox is back. And if I look at his elbow, it looks like so is his infection because he's got some sort of bandage still there. I don't know what's going on with that. Hopefully his arm will be okay and not uh, taken off by the end of next year. 
fingers crossed. Um, (laughs) Moxley comes out, uh, begins pulling chairs from underneath the ring and tossing them inside. Mm -hmm. And Lance Archer comes out, and I just have my notes here that he's a forced version of what seems natural for John Moxley. Uh, I can see that. I can see. I I love. It's just it's, it's a little over the top for me. Yes. Yeah, he no, he is a little bit over the top. Like he's kind of been that way all through the G one and everything. He's yeah, you know, it, it's one of those things where you kind of buy it because of the way that the crowd reacts to him, so it's okay. Um, but I could see where it is a little bit over the top. But I love his entrance gear here, man. He looks like th- <laughs> every bad guy in the limited like two anime movies that I've seen. Like he just looks like a character from Akira. Really, is the reason I like right. him so much. This fucking weird <laughs> helmet that he's got on. It yep. all, like this this vest thing looks like it was knitted by someone. I don't know. It's really a strange texture, but it's uh, it's it's some cool entrance gear. And like, I thought that this was one of the first entrances of the night that really like got my attention as, as like a Wrestle Kingdom entrance. No, you're not wrong. And it's also a great Wrestle Kingdom entrance when he almost fell on his ass pushing young lions around at ringside <laughs> and almost fell through a guardrail doing it. <laughs> I missed that. I missed that completely. He's oh, like, just you know, shove, shove, shove. And he like, he shoves one that like, you know, he loses his balance a little bit and almost like topples over with this kid. <laughs> well, this one is a match that I enjoyed a whole lot. I thought these guys uh-huh. do a great job here. It's kind of like, you know, just kind of back and forth uh, action here with the uh, Mox, you know, looking good, especially early on. With this uh, different action, I my first notes on the match here are to the plastic bag, but I feel like there was a lot that happened before that. So if you have more, feel free well, to take over for a bit. There's a few things that I, Moxley hits a big suicide dive on Archer, and then I love the crowd applauding him as he rolled him back into the ring. Like these guys are having a Texas death match, and the Japanese audience is so happy that Moxley rolls Archer back into the ring after a suicide dive. Well, I will say at the Tokyo Dome, I mean that there's yeah. a lot of floor space, and when those guys get off that ring you probably can't see shit <laughs> so i can understand no you probably them. can't no absolutely um yeah archer just we got tra- chairs and trash can lid stuff and we get some kendo stick stuff um archer slips doing his like old school yeah. modified thing which just completely ruins that whole spot <laughs> and moxley would <laughs> let him know about that with well- Breaking a kendo stick over his head and neck just beats the hell out of him. I thought that they, like, the way they transitioned out of it made it feel like it wasn't even a big deal. Like, it was just, like, almost felt like it was part of the match sort of a thing, the way that it, it continued on. Like, I thought they did a great job of, like, not letting that throw off the way the match was going at all. No, you're not wrong at all. No. um, No, they made it work. Uh, Moxley would make a table out of chairs and trash can lids and superplexes Archer through it. Um... Yeah, good stuff. Archer caught a die from Moxley and choke slammed him on the apron. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Good. Use the use a young lion as a weapon. <laughs> just threw him at Moxley. Yeah, and then he took out the young lions with a dive over the top rope. Uh, yeah. So yeah, just kind of just some of the highlights uh, as we're coming around. Yeah, the plastic bag was. Yeah, just yeah, just about to the to the to the bag now. Yeah, he yeah. Moxley would flip the double bird at Archer, and hits a big boot. Well, and uh, for, yeah, I'll let you take it from there. Folks that don't understand, like Lance Archer, for the, at least this year, has been really like getting over the the claw 
Like the iron claw on the face has been like his finisher all through the G1. No, and it worked. It, like it's, it, it, I didn't buy into it at first, but it, it ended up working out really well. Like his performance in the G1 won me over completely. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. but man, like he pulls out this plastic bag and I was just like, we're going back to funk and flair right now, guys. Like, yeah. so, like really we're doing the plastic bag spot. So he, instead of putting it over the man's face, just like <laughs> presses it against his nose and mouth. Yeah. And so it doesn't quite work as well, but it is interesting. I'll give him that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was something the crowd definitely was like, didn't know what the hell they were looking at. <laughs> um, yeah. Moxley though, his arm doesn't drop a third time after that. Um, Lance would set some tables up at ringside. He used his spiked helmet into the face of uh, Moxley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Archer would attempt with a blackout, but Mox escapes. Both men are now on the apron. Moxley with a death rider through two tables. And uh, he would get back into the ring. Lance Archer, however, would not make it to his feet before the referees count. Uh, He appears to be bleeding from somewhere. They weren't real clear about that. Yeah. And uh, Moxley would pick up the win here and is your new U.S. champion. Well, I don't know if you saw, like, the way that Archer... Like when he first goes through it, because he's taking the DDT, so like his he's laying like stomach first, and the way he comes down yeah. on that Japanese table, like his head goes through the middle of the table, and then the yeah. supports for the table hit him right at his fucking like waist spot. Oh. So he's just like bending over top of it. I was like, that had to be the fucking most painful thing. <laughs> like that yeah, would be awful. No. I mean, both these guys basically take the brunt of that that spot anytime that Mox oh, is yeah. putting people down with that fucking double arm DDT, but. Uh, it's, yeah, it was, it was awesome looking and I thought that it was a good ending to the match and it's, it's one of those things where everyone was so sure that, well, John Moxley will lose because of course he would. Why can't he, he can't be there for the U S matches. So why would he be the champion? Um, but they just kind of went the other way and put the belt on Mox once again. So he continues to be the dominant force in this company at, at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then he would ask for a microphone. Yeah. And he says he's a gambler and he came here to leave with uh, nothing or leave with everything. And he tells Juice Robinson that tomorrow night they will settle the score once and for all. And uh, yeah, it's it was weird because we knew this match was happening and it felt like he was doing a promo that's like announcing that the match is going to happen. Like, why is the why all the gambling talk? What what was up with the gamble thing? Like, you're not making a gamble. We knew that that was the scheduled match. That was the match you signed up for. (laughs) That's this this is true. (laughs) Um, I also just have in my notes too. Like, all the young lions must just really hate the American wrestlers specifically because they never pay attention to them or listen to any of their like cues at ringside (laughs) when they're trying to like (laughs) go this way, make them walk certain ways, or yeah, no. The Japanese wrestlers, I mean, Minoru freaking Suzuki will follow the directions of the, like, you know, young lion ushers. But no, God forbid, John Moxley, Chris Jericho, all these guys, like, they just can't be bothered by it. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, so, yeah, it, it was just, I thought it was a weird promo to, to add all that gambling talk in there as well. I was like, is he, like, going to throw in something about, like, and then I'm going to take this belt to double or nothing in the springtime? <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, all right. Yeah. Um, Yeah, who knows? Kevin Kelly says, after what we saw tonight, he can only imagine how far Mox will go tomorrow to retain. And then we flash to the hype video for the Junior Heavyweight Championship, Tony. Yeah. 
Yeah, we get we go to the hype video. I love the style and the colors and everything like that. And these videos are really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, Hiromu Takahashi, obviously. I mean, many remember he broke his neck in the summer of 2018 doing a stupid move with Dragon Lee. <laughs> but I'm sure he'll do again because he's Hiromu and he can't be stopped. Um, yeah. So, you know, this has been an ongoing thing. Will he? Won't he? You know, Will obviously has... You know, maybe become an even better wrestler now than he was when Takahashi was around. Oh, yeah. You know, he's really coming to his own. We see uh, Robbie Eagles and Will Ospreay winning a tag team match that actually saw Robbie Eagles picking up the pinfall over Hiromu Takahashi. So, you know, there's still doubt both in his mind and in the mind of fans and New Japan about, you know, just how ready he is and where he stands as a wrestler. Yeah, he's. Um, Hiromu actually, he, he came back and then lost three matches uh, before yeah. this match. He was granted this title match basically on right. nothing other than reputation um, and True. then lost three matches. And so now the storyline coming in is that Will Ospreay is totally overconfident. He is, you know, almost mm-hmm. dickish at this point, like playing a bit yep. of a heel character yep. uh, in the way that he's come, going about coming into this match, which I like that New Japan does that with a lot of their top guys where. You know, if if the crowd's going to be behind the other guy, let's make a reason for this guy to not care to to at least have a reason to kind of come off like a dick to the crowd. You know? Yeah. No, absolutely. It's it's perfect, and it doesn't really hurt anybody. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's not a full still, heel turn. No, they'll still love Will Osprey, but you know, it's like on this night, like he's just there's no chance that he's going to be the fan favorite. You know, this crowd is going to yeah, you know, side with Hiromu. Oh yeah. And, the uh, man is managed by a stuffed cat, for God's sake. Yeah. Like they, <laughs> we also get lots of shots of women crying at the return of Hiromu during this video as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that's where we're at here as we come into match. What number are we even on at this point? Eight. Eight. Take match number eight for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. It's Hiromu Takahashi taking on Will Ospreay, the champion. Oh, yeah. Uh, this was one and, I was uh, definitely looking forward to after seeing so many big spots from Will Ospreay this year. Yeah, no, this was certainly uh, one to be you know looked forward to, and it didn't disappoint. Uh, Hiromu comes out in his Dalton Castle inspired uh, <laughs> ring attire on yes. this evening. Yeah, I, I got a very Dalton Castle vibe from his entire performance here and during his entrance. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, those guys love him. I, it's one of my favorite clips in Ring of Honor shared, I think, over the last week or so because of Liger. But when Liger gets into the like pose off with Dalton, yes. oh, you know, yeah. the way that he Dalton like gets the crowd going while he's been t- and then does the thing with his, you know, sh- hands at his hips. And man, him and <laughs> it's, so great, it's such great stuff. And him and Liger are going back and forth with that. Oh, and when Liger gets the young boys with him, like that's good stuff, yep. too. Uh, <laughs> all right. So. Yeah, the cameraman fucks up, doesn't know that Takahashi comes from the center entrance during this entrance because we're now into the official IWGP tag title matches where I do like, that's one of the things that I love about the way that New Japan kind of sets up some of these bigger shows, like especially this one here where we've got entrances to the right and left and then a center entrance. And the center entrance is only used for IWGP title matches. Like everything else gets the side entrances and that's it. And it's just like, it was one of those things where I didn't notice it right away, but then I kind of slowly through night two picked up exactly what the hierarchy of matches was. Absolutely. Because also Uh, the pre-show matches didn't even come out of the stage. They came out of the dugout from like the left side of the field. Right. (laughs) That's right. 
They had to, and they all had to eat out of a trough. It was terrible the way they were treated. <laughs> um, I find it strange that Liv Morgan and Hiromu Takahashi have the same like thing going on where uh, I think Charlton or somebody just mentions that you know he has to kill who he was to become who he wants to be, and that's literally the it's literally the Liv Morgan like vignette thing oh. where she was like, "I have to kill who I was to become who I want to be." It just made me laugh. That's awesome. Oh, that's good stuff. Um, so yeah, uh, Hiromu, like you said, peacocking with tons of feathers and neon rainbow colored furs in his jacket. But when I got yeah. a closer look, I'm pretty sure it's just really cheap wigs that they sewed into the bottom side of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, hey, whatever works. But you know, I can't say too much shit because Will Ospreay comes out wearing a stuffed animal tiger head on his shoulder for no goddamn reason. Dude, that is his stuff is so badass. Like Will Ospreay's, <laughs> I, I I really like his I, ring gear. I like everything except for that fucking tiger head, man. <laughs> All right. Oh, I don't know. And also, it felt like someone forgot. Like he was rushed out without being able to get a hold of his sword because the whole like getting the sword at the end of the stage seemed really weird. Well, you know, I'm sure it's all means something to them. All this stuff's anime inspired, so. <laughs> oh, again, Chris Charlton kind of uh, letting us know that this title has changed hands six years straight at the Dome Show. <laughs> it's like, Chris, just maybe keep those things to yourself. Like, it's it's becoming more and just, more clear that this just title changes happen here. Yeah, like, tell us, like, the total number of title matches that they've had in the Dome, and then, like, right. wait till the end to tell us. And that marks six, seven years in a row that yeah. it's changed, you know? Oh, so yeah, this uh, this is a, a great match here. The the they get going here. There's a Sasuke special series with Hiromu seeing it coming. He just takes two steps back uh, before the back and forth leads to one connecting, which I thought was great. Like just the way that like Will Osprey and Hiromu kind of playing off each other and knowing what each other can do and where moves are coming from, sort of a thing. Yeah, no, it's an yeah an absolutely breathtaking exchange there uh, between the two men. Uh, another thing that I picked up on watching these matches was that uh, Tsuji, Yoda Tsuji, does a great job of holding back the horde of photographers <laughs> when he's like sitting at mm-hmm. ringside, and nobody else does it like him. Everybody else just lets them like wander loose like chickens, you know, that are just like <laughs> going in a bunch of different directions. Clark Connors was the one that I noticed at this time. Was like, man, he just doesn't he doesn't have the you know the technique that Tsuji does. Man, he Tsuji keeps those guys in line, so. <laughs> It's like it's like all the photographers are like, God damn it, I need to get over to that Connor's corner so I can get some good yeah. shots of the Suji kids keeping me locked up. Yeah, so the Sas yeah, so the Sasuke special uh sequence was absolutely amazing. Uh Osprey, because he has to do everything a little bit better, does a top rope six one nine, then hits a double stomp to the back of the head of Hiromu on the apron, because mm-hmm. why not? Um you, you know, you hate to, you, you hate to point out something like this, but yeah, they, I missed drop kick pretty <laughs> badly after that with Will coming off the Which top rope. Wouldn't have been so bad, but Gambino bit hard on selling this one, man. He was like, "Do you yeah. see that, Kevin? Do you see that? Oh, good God, <laughs> he's gonna take his head off!" And it's like, "No, no, we all saw that he missed, man." <laughs> yeah, um, a brutal. It's always brutal. The cheeky Nando's kick. Uh, Osprey then sits Hiromu on his shoulders and starts climbing up top. And I'm like, good God, you two. Like, (laughs) what do you have planned? Um, It kind of goes back and forth a little bit here. Hiromu hops down, went for the wheelbarrow toss, but Will blocks it. And basically we end up with a top rope victory roll 
from Hiromu onto Osprey that gets a near fall, which was yeah. At least they didn't. I was just glad nobody hurt themselves too badly there. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so at this point they start going after the you know Hiromu trying to hit the time bomb here, uh, trying to get the big move. Also, Osprey goes for the uh, what is Stormbreaker at one point here. They're kind of countering each other's finishers. It's very much like the you know the big title match finishing series that all of these New Japan matches kind of usually like to take advantage oh, yeah. of. And it's great stuff. Like, these two are just so smooth and crisp together. But the yeah. my big complaint is the fact that this whole time, the announcers are telling us since the beginning of this match that, well, Hiromu actually has a new finisher. It's even beyond the time bomb, and he hasn't shown us what it is. But yeah. and so this whole match, though, instead of going for that, this mystery move that we don't know what the setup is, Hiromu's just spending the whole time going for the time bomb. So then he finally <laughs> hits it. And obviously, Osprey kicks out. He does. Yeah. And then he finally goes, oh, now I have to hit this move. And then he hits the special move, which is just like murder the man, <laughs> um, hold him out the, to the side and drop him directly on his head. That is the yeah. time bomb, too. And he hits it and then he wins. One, two, three, your winner, new junior heavyweight champion, Hiromu Takahashi. And I thought that if they wouldn't have done that, if they would have just had him like going for a mysterious setup that we didn't know what it was, but Osprey was like escaping and looking scared about what the fuck almost happened, that right. would have been one thing. But they just they don't tease it at all, and so it felt kind of anticlimactic to me. Like it really pulled me out in the last ten ten percent of this match. Well, you know, but that's also could be maybe the case could be made that that's it's so rare in New Japan that a match doesn't have a bunch of near falls. That true. That's the other thing, too. Like, you know, it's so rare that you just see somebody do a finisher and then the match is actually over, you know? Yeah, and I like that aspect of it. You know, when you're introducing the new finisher, right. have it be the finish. But I just felt like when you told me the time bomb won't be the finish and then he's yeah. going for the time bomb the whole match, it doesn't make me as excited as if he was going for what I know is going to be the finish in this new yeah. finisher. No, you're, no, you're not wrong. Because, yeah, I mean, I had had my notes at the very beginning before the match even started during the entrances that they mentioned that he... You know, fa he just developed a new finishing maneuver that, maneuver that he f uh, found in Mexico. Yeah, while he was in Mexico or something. It's basically a snowplow brainbuster. Like it's oh, okay, very much in like the fashion of like how Al Snow used to do his finishing maneuver. You know, where he didn't kill them, whereas this one is just the version <laughs> where he literally just drops them on their head instead of on their back. So yeah, yeah, but yeah, it was a, it was a uh, you know a damn near picture perfect match. Mm -hmm. um, the sequences at the very beginning of the match are the kind of things that, you know, s the the criticism that the Blake um, Oliver, or, you know, Jay, whatever the hell, the, those kids that you know got ripped to the GCW show oh, yeah, for yeah, their yeah. sequence, uh, their names escape me at the moment. But this is an example of what some of the vets that were just being like critically constructive about it, like saying, yeah. like, you know, yeah, that's. Good endurance, good memory, you know, but, you know, after a few years, you'll learn how to kind of smooth this out. And, you know, that's what this match had. You know, this match mm -hmm. was a perfect example of it had all that dancing, if you want to call it dancing. But yeah. it doesn't feel like they're out there doing anything that's choreographed. You know what I mean? It feels like it's a com competition between, you know, two people. So, um, yeah, I loved this match. Can't say enough about this match. I mean, it's only... Uh, January twelfth, but this is definitely you know top five matches of the year for me. This is so it's it's definitely it's it's a great match, and I just if I just felt like I just kind of fell out of it at the end, but uh, yeah, overall fantastic, um, and definitely was 
having me very excited for what was still to come in the evening here tonight because we're straight to the intercontinental title hype video and at this point then my notes are what happened to the stardom girls are they going to buffer the two big matches usually new japan just goes straight to the big ones then i think that's the point when i texted you and you're like oh it's a real dark match i was like oh okay um it's already happened man so yeah naito and jay white the video here it's naito with lots of baseball imagery uh, is basically, yeah. he's kind of the, the impetus behind this whole double dash thing. Like it was uh-huh. his character that brought up the idea at some point during the summer when like the G1 was about to start. That was his goal was to win the intercontinental title, then win the big championship and be the first man to have both belts. So I'm guessing that that's what we're hearing him saying during this in- video, but I have no idea. Um, and then Jay White's just, you know, he's a shitty guy, uh, doesn't want to let Naito do that. And, uh, he's just kind of a, a shitty all the whole time. No, Jay White and Baron Corbin had very like similar trajectories when it comes to like their characters. Where I'm glad that you're using Baron Corbin as a reference because I'm going to use him in Night Two specifically for another wrestler, ah, and so I'm well, very because, interested to hear this. Go ahead. <laughs> well, because I just think because Jay White's one of those bad guys where it's like it's it was kind of the wrong kind of heat to some degree. Yeah, you know, and, and that's even discussed like when you talk about like you know the mass exodus after he's winning matches and things mm-hmm. like that and. People genuinely being like, no, we really don't like this guy. And then <laughs> instead of them like caving to that and thinking like, oh, well, maybe this is a bad. They just went as far in, leaned as hard into it as they possibly could. You know, oh, yeah. and that's the same thing with Corbin. Like just when people are telling you that they can't take another second of this and they don't want any more and they hate, give them twice as much. <laughs> Let's turn it up even louder, you know, and like. Yeah. Make them just be as obnoxious as possible and to be like, oh, you don't like me? Oh, you wish that this place would get rid of me? Well, guess what? I, you know, I'm not going anywhere and I love that you hate yeah. me and I'm, you know, going to embrace that. It's, I, I really like the Jay White character and I think that, um, you know, it works out because, you know, damn it, heels can just be healed sometimes. Like mm-hmm. Naito is arguably my favorite current wrestler, like in one of my favorites in current professional wrestling, but, you know, that character of his doesn't work for everybody. Everybody yes. can't be Naito. You yes. know, like yeah. <laughs> some people need to just be hated and just give people nothing to like. Like there's it's one of the most subtle things that I think we've talked about before, but I love and pop every time Pac, that bastard, gets into a ring in AEW mm-hmm. and he's in his introduction <laughs> and he takes one step towards that corner, like he's gonna go up and put his hands up and yeah. like you know, wave at the fans, and then he just stops and, like, you know, says something mean to the people in the front row or, like, (laughs) flips them off. Like, it's, you know, that's the kind of thing that you should do. Whatever people like you for, you got to stop immediately if you're going to be an effective heel. I can see that. I can see that. Um, Yeah, no, I, 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 Jay White's one of those characters where, like you said, it was one of those things where when it was very quickly realized that, oh, Kenny's gone, we're putting this man here. Yeah, people weren't necessarily with it, but man, over this no. last year, they have really built this character up to the point that, like, during the G one, I really came to really appreciate a lot of his his, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the little things that he does during matches that I love so much. And man, coming into this match, I was kind of pulling for Jay White to get the victory here because I wanted Jay White Kota Ibushi <laughs> on night two and just to see the crowd be super behind Kota Ibushi. But they went with the other guy that the crowd was super behind. Um, so, so yeah, so yeah. this match is uh, well, it, it's very exciting. Go ahead. Well, and give J- New, give New Japan credit. We'll talk about it later, too. But, you know, it was a very similar circumstance with Kenta, you know, where it was like, here's what we think 
yeah. is going to work. And when it became clear that that wasn't going to work, you know, they pivot and they found a way to make, you know, to find another way to use these people. Definitely. Yeah. So uh, what match is this? Is this match nine or eight? Match number nine. Nine. So match nine for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship. It's Tetsuya Naito, the challenger, taking on the champion in Jay White with his, you know, buddy, uh, manager. Uh, is it Gato? Yes, Gato, because Gato yeah. was in the other yeah. one. <laughs> yes, um, sir. Yeah, so during the entrances here, I just have, why is Naito wearing an evil bunny rabbit, good rabbit mask? That's a weird mask specifically for him, but okay. <laughs> He's also kind of got like just a generic looking trench coat with furry lapels. I think it was, the, it was too dark to the point where I couldn't even tell like what color it was. I just thought this was very odd looking for his like, you know, Wrestle Kingdom entrance. Granted, I think it's because we're going to get the actual Wrestle Kingdom gear tomorrow. Uh, but right. But yeah. What did you think of Mr. Naito's entrance? I mean, I liked it. You know, if you can uh, try any less to look so cool as Naito, you know, as usual. Mm-hmm. And um, what I really loved about this was, you know, Charlton explaining the ups and downs of uh, the year for Naito, um, you know, with some being, being very close to being kind of out of the picture altogether. Yeah. Uh, they do. Before he kind of, you know, turned things around and, you know, pulled himself out of it. New Japan does a great job of still like Naito is almost a 500 guy on the year. Like he's like nine yeah. and seven or something like that. Yep. And, and they do a good job of like, even though he's nine and seven, he feels like he's one of the top four guys. It doesn't feel like he's, you know, in the middle of the card here. Uh, right. So they've done a good job of making those wins that he does get matter that much more and really kind of propel him out of the depths of possible losses throughout the summer or whatever. Uh, but yeah, that like you said, he's kind of had an up and down year, uh, but he's definitely taken quite a few pinfalls uh, this year as well. Yeah. And, you know, Jay White, on the other hand, as Kevin Kelly would explain, is pretty much just the opposite. <laughs> um, you know, beat Todd at Wrestle Kingdom 13, oh, yeah. uh, beat Tanahashi a month after that. You know, won the B block of the G1, beat Naito for the Intercontinental title, and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. where, he, you know, feels like he's almost down at this point, but then you go back and you kind of look at that, you know, record, and you're like, well, he's actually, you know, had a pretty consistent year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jay White's been right there all year long. Um, I love his entrance gear here with the, like, white and red. It doesn't look anything like he's a member of the Bullet Club. It doesn't look like he's the leader of the Bullet Club, but he looks fucking <laughs> awesome. And, like, it's a cool look here with uh, Gato as well. Yeah, I just wish they would all walk out together, even. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. do, Let's- like, an Undisputed Era thing. Just everybody walk out, you know, too sweet the cameras, you know, yeah. be, be imposing to the commentators and the young lions. And then everybody but Gato can, They've you know, done that in the past. go backstage. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah, I feel like that's something they used to do. Yeah, because um, I think oh. didn't they all do that when Jay White won the title from Naito? Like, because wasn't right, that yeah. the same night that fucking I, what's his name yeah. switched? Anyways, yeah, yeah, with uh, Kenta, I think. Anyways, um, so yeah, so I like you said, I'm really enjoying the story of this match here. Uh, White kind of is doing a great job of just picking out the one item and working on that the entire match. He's going after Naito's leg. The entire evening, the knee, I guess, would be more yep. correct. Yeah, Naito with the bad knee. Um, he gets chance early as the bell rings, ringing out the Tokyo Dome. They're wildly behind Naito. It seemed a bit like, 
over the top to me how the commentary is just like, yeah, he might just hang it up after this. It's like, well, now calm down. Okay, well, you've got I mean, Yuji Nagata in a tag yeah. team match in the beginning of the show, and I'm supposed to believe that like if Naito doesn't beat Jay White, that that's just going to be the end of his wrestling career? Uh, on one hand, yeah, I get what you're saying, but I, I do think that there's been like some sort of talk in like the media of Japan about that because... Mm-hmm. That seems to be something that I've heard referenced by like different pl- podcasters and stuff about like Naito okay. talking about how he's older, his age is getting up there, and he might be looking to hang it up eventually, sort of a thing. I don't know at all. Like it's one of the things I didn't look deeper into. But when they right. the announcer started mentioning it, it didn't seem out of place for me. But if I can understand where that, like you said, you're watching Yuji Nagata and fucking tight Liger right. in in matches yeah. here tonight, and we've got Tetsuya Naito out here in the main event doing right. just as good as anyone in the world, and he's possibly going to quit if he loses. Right. He's, he's at nearly the top of his game, but also somehow simultaneously at the brink of retirement. Like, it's just kind of an odd <laughs> dynamic there. Um, One thing I want to point out about this match and about all of Jay White's big matches, and the thing that I really enjoy about his character is how much they do, like... It feels like his character is such a, like preparing before the match kind of character where he's looking, he knows, yeah. uh, okay, if he gets me in this hold, that's I means this move's coming and this is how I got to get out of it. Cause he, he has like specific exits for the other person's finish. He always has like three different ways to get out of the other person's finish that will, mm-hmm. he'll have to cycle through before the other person's able to even hit like a big finisher on him in the match. And I think that that's such a cool element to the way that his matches are very similar to how Okada has a, a, a style of his match. It feels like Jay White is kind of developing his own style as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, maybe it's the Gato connection there. Um, yeah. And Jay would, you know, enrage this crowd as they were at a fever pitch for this to start and just rolls out of the ring, which yes. is a, you know, a great move on his part, you know, and that's what pulls, I feel like yeah. you were talking about, you know, do the stuff that the fans hate even more. Like mm-hmm. the, every time I hear people con- criticizing the Gato connection and the way that like yeah. Gato designs his heels in a very Memphis style, I always hear yeah. that like that negativity about the Memphis style and doing all that Memphis right. bullshit. But it's like, dude, it fucking works. You watch Jay White roll yeah. out here and the fans go fucking nuts. <laughs> yeah, no, they hate it. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's not a lot of people that do it. You know, it's not that it's not as common mm-hmm. um, as it is maybe in a lot of other places. Um, I like Naito basically using. Gato to draw Jay into the ring. Eventually, he grabs Gato by the collar, and that brings you know White into the match. Um, so yeah, like that would that would get things started, and you know it would it would begin. And yeah. I love to so like they move outside. It's like New Japan needs to figure out like, hey, instead of making young lions hold the guardrails together. Or try to make sure that, like they don't just go flying over or swing up. Why don't you just use better guardrails, dude? I wonder if there's like a tra- like is there something to these guardrails? Because I was looking at them very specifically as well at this point, and yeah. it's like they're already all bent up, and like these are just the same guardrails that they've had. Like, is it just something where they're like, well, they ain't broken, so we're not getting new ones. Like, they just keep them I- around. I don't know, but it just cracks me up because it's become much more prevalent in New Japan, it seems like, too, to go out and do a little bit of this WWE stuff where we throw each other into the guardrails and then mm-hmm. roll them back into the ring. Like, And, yeah, I mean, it's like it happens in almost every match, and you just see these poor young lions, like, sitting there, like, bracing for impact. And they're like, yeah. you know, as they're, like, people are getting whipped into these things. Because otherwise, when there isn't anybody there, you see what happens. And these things, like, damn near 
falling on fans and you know they go well, knock falling over and they're not you're not well put together yeah especially at like some of the smaller shows where you actually have fans right there at least this show yeah. it's like the only people that are going to get hit are officials and people with like right. special passes to sit at these like weird dinner tables that no one ever mentions but yeah. somehow no the population the dignitaries. goes up and yeah. down throughout the evening <laughs> right oh but yeah so yeah, the, the, you know, lots of barricade spots here. Just these two guys, like they work so well together. Like Jay White, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for as much as I hear about Naito not liking to work with guys that aren't, you know, aren't Japanese or whatever, it seems like right. these two guys have great chemistry and they've put on some fantastic matches. And dude, this one's another great one right here. No, it is. It's absolutely great. You know, you have a lot of um, Gato getting involved, grabbing the feet of Naito, and uh, you know, Jay wrapping that knee around still ring post. You get. um Saito suplex and then Jay mocks the tranquilo pose. Dude, that which I thought was good stuff. When he mocks the tranquilo, that gets like so much heat from the crowd. Like they, it's such an expected move. You knew that part was coming in the match. Someone was, yep. you knew Jay White was going to mock it, but it almost like this just caught them completely off guard. That's how offended they sounded the way these boos yeah. came raining down. Um, yeah, Naito hurting his knee after hitting her karana on Jay. I loved the uh, fake out on the combination kick when Naito, you know, springboards, slingshots himself over the top rope into the ring. And you think he's going to do the drop kick to Jay, who's seated in the corner, and he just lands on his feet instead. And then as soon as Jay, like, lets his guard down, then he kicks yeah. him in the face. <laughs> That's great stuff. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I keep going if you want. I, I have no notes okay. for the actual match. I just have the finish. Oh. Well, how about that? Okay. Dude, these um, these big right. ones, I get it too. Like, I'll tell you what, my notes, like, because the early ones, I felt myself starting to write too much, like you were saying. And so I started yeah. just putting the keyboard down during the match. And it's like, ah. it let me really get into the match, but my notes yeah. are very lacking as far as in the middle of the matches. That's fine. Um, Naito had spit in the face of Jay earlier in the match. Jay White returns the favor, spitting in the face of Naito. It's a dragon screw uh, while it was draped across the second rope. Uh, at this point, Naito can't even run when Jay would send him into the ropes. He was just collapsing. Um, a back Saito suplex would send Naito over the top rope to the floor, hitting the apron along the way. Brutal stuff there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, Naito twice escapes the Kiwi Crusher, um, but couldn't stop it. Um, but he kicks out. Kicks out of the Kiwi Crusher, much to the surprise of the announced team and the fans. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay would continue going after the knee. Uh, the fans are absolutely fever pitched for Naito I, as he's crawling for the ropes and uh would he get that rope break? Yes. Um so are you talking about when he's outside of the ring? Um or no. No. Oh, okay. No, no, no. He's no, he's no, he's inside the ring and he's in like the I think it's like an Indian death lock or something, but he's working the knee and he's gotcha. trying to get a rope break. Knee. Okay. Yeah. Um yeah, I loved I absolutely loved like the whole like throwing him and like him not being able to run and just Jay White laughing while the crowd's upset about this and like picking him back up, throwing him again, trying to get him to run again and falling down. Like I loved all that stuff. Um I I just I like as you're recounting all this stuff, I'm starting to like even get more of it coming back to memory. It's just like I forgot just how much I really enjoyed the story that they told in this match and the way these guys work together. No, yeah, it's absolutely great. Um Jay would get back on top of uh, Naito in this match with forearm shots. Naito fires up, though, as Gato had gotten into the ring. Naito spits on him. Enziguri, followed by the step-up Tornado DDT, drops Jay White. Snap her Karana from Tetsuya Naito, followed by a red spike side slam where he just kind of 
tips the guy over and drops him on his head. White, though, blocks the Destino, whips Naito into the ref, knocking him out. So here we go with the shenanigans. <laughs> yeah. As the evil Gato has a chair, Naito, though, f- fights him off. White hits a low blow. Uh, Naito, though, with a dragon suplex for White, and then kicks Gato right in the balls. Uh, White, though, wraps a chair on the head of Naito. Sleeper suplex. And then Jay calls for the ref to stand up as he's still been knocked out this entire time. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of go into the finish. Yeah. the You know, we start getting a lot of, you know, back and forth stuff with guys trying to hit big finishes. I can't remember because I'm starting to mix the two matches. Does uh-huh. does Jay White hit a made in Japan here in this match? I think it's the next night. I think that is the next night. Yeah, because I think, well, he hits it on Ibushi, but Ibushi uses it against Okada in this night. Because somebody Ah, in one of these main two matches uses one. And I remember thinking, like, where do I know that move from? And forgetting that it was Shingo, that it's his Ah, move. And it's just a weird thing that, like, guys wrestling against (laughs) Naito would be like, I'm going to use your other faction mate's finisher. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it is kind of strange. But yeah, so Jay White is doing a great job of, like, working in this knee. And obviously the knee is a difficult thing for Naito with the moves that he likes to go for. Destino being one where you have to launch yourself up in the air to get started. Um, But he's able to hit a a Destino. Knight or White kicks out of that. Uh, we end up getting a total of three Destinos before he finally pins Jay White for the victory. And I just thought, like, as it came down to it, man, these guys, again, they put together a fantastic match. And this is one that could easily main event any of their cards throughout the year as far as being, yep. like, a satisfying finish to your night. But we still have the big main event tonight on this card. Yeah, still one more to go. Rocky Romero and Kevin Kelly discuss the rough turnaround ahead of tomorrow's world title match for uh, Naito. Mm-hmm. Although, as we'll soon find out, the turnaround won't be any easier for the man that comes out as the victor of the main event of the evening. So, Yeah, I, just, I love the way that like this match built as far as like the escalation of like the violence and like the, the anger to each other with like the spitting mm-hmm. and stuff, like the way that it, like almost really upset Naito to be spit back at. It's like it's, it is one of the weird things with Naito being like the over-the-top babyface here this uh, this weekend. Uh, is that he's like also the guy that's known for spitting at people. <laughs> right. He uh, does a lot of it. He's a spitter. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So I, like I said, I thought Jay White did a great job carving out his own like identity and uh, was a great opponent here for Naito. But that brings us to after the match where the fans are really happy that Naito's won. Kevin Kelly says the majority want to see him be the double champ, and he's halfway there. Naito takes the belt, spits in Red Shoe's face afterwards. It's gross. Um <laughs> The announcers play up the damage that Naito took to his knee, like you said, talking about the insane turnaround, and then we get the hype video for the main event, which is just fantastic stuff. In my notes, I have maybe Stardom Girls tomorrow. (laughs) Uh, Kota used to do moves to his friends on the beach, apparently. We see video footage of, um, and the feeling that I'm getting from this is that both men are very calm in discussing the upcoming match. There's no real anger, except for when they start to get into each other's faces in the ring. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Kota, we see him winning the G1 and, uh, you know, all that. Yeah, the home videos. So, yeah, that takes us to match number 10. The main event of night one for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. It's Kota Ibushi, the G1 winner, taking on the 69th IWGP champion. It's Kazuchika Okada. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought Kota Ibushi for you know all these big entrances that we have. Kota Ibushi just has his normal entrance. He walks out, well, no extra jacket. 
no shirt to remove, is, just a dude in his gear. This is the constant saga of like the you know the case of Kota Ibushi because he is <laughs> one of the most intriguing human beings like in the world of professional wrestling. Yeah, because of things like this, because you know he's. Our, the first time that I think we saw Kota Ibushi on a Wrestle Kingdom card, he was dressed as a cartoon character fighting ACH, <laughs> who was dressed as a cartoon character. Yeah. You know, he was going through some things at that time. You know, there was the whole breakup from Kenny Omega when he wasn't even really with New Japan. And then he was kind of popping in as the free agent. And the thing you always kept hearing about him, and even from like a Tanahashi, was that, you know, they're they're always working to kind of bring that fighting spirit out of him. You know what I mean? Like he just has such a nonchalant way about him. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like one of those people that like everything probably comes easy to him when he tries to do it, you know, like, (laughs) because that's the other thing you like, you hear them talking about like, you know, Okada going through the rigors of the new Japan dojo and excursion to Mexico. And obviously to the terrible world of TNA and, you know, and they're like, what about Kota Ibushi? Ah, he just taught himself in his backyard. Like he just decided one day that he was going to be a pro wrestler, and so he just did it. Like that's kind yeah. of about the most info you have on Abushi and how he came to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, his personality just doesn't. I mean, that's what's so great about his character, like in match, but like outside of like in match moments, his you know he's just very even kill. He doesn't. <laughs> doesn't get excited he doesn't like smile he doesn't like yeah he you know he doesn't have a fancy jacket he doesn't yeah. like bring a sword you know what i mean like he's just such an it's, interesting case you know it's funny you put it that way because when he comes out here like he gets in the ring and he has the belt the briefcase and like he right. goes to do like a possible like pose like a yeah like right. hang it up but he only goes like right. halfway with his arm. He doesn't extend the <laughs> arms all the way. He just like yeah. halfway holds yeah. it up and then pulls it down very quickly and is just done with you, it. You know who I would compare Kota Ibushi to? Kota Ibushi is an ultra talented Orange Cassidy. <laughs> is a lot how I would describe Orange. Like there you go. He it, it just his he just has kind of like a yeah yeah. I mean I'm I'm probably the best. You know whatever. It's not a big deal. Like he just mm-hmm. you know. Just has a, a different way about him, you know. You can just you can tell he's just a kind of a different cat all around. Well, you know, Coda makes his entrance. It's very you know generic and, and regular. Coda. It's fine. Right. Um, but then my next notes are Okada's kind of similar. It's kind of you know not a whole lot going on here. I was like his his colors look similar to Jay White's, but it's got gold. And then my notes go, holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> they change yeah. camera angles, and suddenly you see that when lights reflect off this jacket, it looks like the fucking thing has like Technicolor like yeah. technology inside of it, and is just like changing colors and flashing like crazy. This is one of the coolest entrances I think I've seen at WrestleMania at Wrestle Kingdom. No, it's an amazing entrance. You know, you put that and also add in the uh, video board and the projection. Oh, I forgot about they, that. You know, yeah. You see a lot of that. I saw a lot of that when as I was watching. I worked New Year's Day, and I would pull up the satellite feed of all the different countries doing their celebration. Mm-hmm. And you saw a lot of this. Like in France, on the Arc de Triomphe, they had this video projections on it that, you know, would make it look like it was made out of something else. And then that okay. would all break. And, like... You know, just I don't know yeah. what, what to call that exactly, but that's what a lot of this was, too. It's this like, you know, lifelike video projection that, you know, these things kind of 
you know, collapse and dissolve into the next thing. And it's, you know, pretty cool looking. Yeah. I forgot to even explain that part. So yeah, before we see his, his jacket that he's wearing, he's, he's part of this video where like it's the, the video screen is normally up top and then there's like a break in it, but this one suddenly it looks like it's fully all the way down to the floor. I don't a hundred percent understand how it all works because he's like yeah. layered into this video as like, there's it's like wild. rain and like he's got an umbrella, throws it away. And like, it looks mm-hmm. really cool. Um, but yeah, this is a great Wrestle Kingdom entrance. And just when you contrast it with Coda's, it feels really strange that Coda, <laughs> like, why didn't they force Coda Bushi to have something that looked cool? Like, I don't understand this. Cause he would have just like, you know, Michael, Sarah, Charlie Brown walked to the ring either way. Like, even if they had all this going on, he would have just like, you know, had his shoulders slumped and would have just like walked slowly to the ring. Oh, goodness. Well, the, you know, Okada gets into the ring. It's a huge, you know, the crowd's going nuts here. They're definitely excited to see him. Uh, they gasp at him, revealing his shorts to be slightly shorter than usual. The cr- <laughs> Japanese crowds really love just men's thighs a whole lot. Well, well this whole thing has kind of been amplified also by a lot of internet discussion. I mean, the announcers yeah. are even like, it's a, you know, oh, those are shorter than usual. You know, like they're just... <laughs> Oh goodness. Yeah, it's funny stuff. It's, it's fun. Um, the announcers talk about how tense and amazing the atmosphere is as we get a shot of our rugby douchebags. And of course, one yeah. is texting on his phone and not caring about what's happening. It's just so funny to me. Like, you think of like WrestleMania's like celebrity, like interactions over the years. Like, yeah. You always at least someone smarts people up to be like, Hey, when you're on camera, can you like smile and wave at the camera or like, at least in the more recent like- ones? Yeah. Yeah, pretend like you're watching the match and like maybe talk to the person next to you. Like, these guys literally are just like there. You can tell they're who knows how big of wrestling fans they are. You know, it's I guess it's cool to be there, but they don't give a crap about this. Like it's just such a random celebrity like interaction. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I have in my notes here, the nice part about the traditionally slow start to the Okada title match is that it gives the announcers time to walk us through Kota Ibushi's entire background and childhood. <laughs> yes oh goodness so there's a lot of that uh we discuss new boots because okada decided to go with blank boots for some reason i was like it'd be one thing if he had like a new design they're just generic white boring ass boots why did you choose these weird fucking boots i don't get it no yeah so yeah we get the abushi rundown we hear about okadas as well who at 15 went to mexico and trained with ultimo dragon and skade who's another you know, famous trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's when we, you know, and Ibushi just taught himself, which is just <laughs> how that is the well, case. I don't. They understand. don't say that he taught him. He he went outside of the usual system, so he went to other teachers and okay, learned while wrestling and that sort of thing. Versus going okay. through the dojo system is what I think they're trying to point out. Okay, that makes sense. But yeah, the, another thing that they don't necessarily mention, but it does help to explain a little bit of the nonchalantness is that Abushi also comes from a very well-off family, hasn't had to work for anything like, ah. you know, so he can, you can take the time to, you know, do the weirder parts of wrestling and wrestle for DDT because he doesn't have to make his living through DDT, that sort of a thing. Gotcha. Um, that makes sense. So yeah, so I, I, I don't have a lot for the beginning of this match, uh, but there's a whole, like this, the ending is just fantastic, but Tony, I'll let you kind of walk us through a little bit of this if you want. Well, no, that's fine. Um, you know, like I said, it's it's back and forth stuff here, kind of, you know, with Ibushi not 
taking any of Okada's shit and, you know, standing toe to toe with him. You know, even an early Rainmaker attempt is ducked by Kota, mm-hmm. but then hits a standing moonsault. Uh, the fight moved to the outside. We'd get a draping DDT from the apron to the floor from Okada on Ibushi. Um, but he would kick out at one when after being rolled back into the ring by Okada, which was kind of impressive there. Yeah. Um, and again, and Ibushi, though, also had a hard time getting up and over these humps, you know, where uh, Okada would be in control. Ibushi would kind of put a stop to the momentum. And it was a drop kick a lot of times from Okada that would kind of <laughs> put an end to whatever Okada or whatever Ibushi was working towards there. It's like, like um, old, old Stone Cold calls him. You got to get the hope spots in there and then you got to stop the hope right. spots. <laughs> Okada goes to another, you know, again, Charlton and Rocky know everything. A submission hold that apparently... He hasn't gone to it a long time. It's kind of an Indian deathlock camel clutch combination. Yeah, the red ink. Um, yes, the red ink. That's what they call it. Exactly. Um, another Okada staple, the top rope elbow drop. And then we get the Rainmaker pose. And the cameraman pulls out to the wide shot and we see all the fans. Um, oh, yeah. But go to a duck, another Rainmaker attempt. And uh, another video that you may have seen floating around of Koda pile driving himself as if he was fighting oh, the invisible Jesus. man. Yeah. Goodness, that like backflip kick attempt where he just lands yes. on top of his head. Goodness. <laughs> yeah, not great. Okada would lift him up and say, you want to land on your head? Fine. He hits a packaged tombstone pile driver on Ibushi, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I loved this spot when Okada would, he jumps in the air to avoid a drop kick and simultaneously comes down and hits a double stomp to the chest of Okada. Oh, yeah. That's I like that a lot. That's great. I love the other thing that, you know, we've seen with a lot of these Kota Ibushi matches throughout the year is he's a wrestler that, you know, where some wrestlers have, you know, Bret Hart has his finishing like series of moves. John Cena right. has his five moves of doom. Hogan has his right. moves. You know, Kota Ibushi does a thing where instead of like or like Hiroki Goto has 15 variations of the GT, whatever. Yes. Um, yes. Whereas he's got all those Kota Ibushi has all these moves he's collected from other opponents throughout his career. And so mm-hmm. he goes through like. This, the different influences and all that stuff. And that's where I think the Made in Japan showed up in this match all of a sudden. But the thing I loved about this specifically is that anytime he does any move that is from Nakamura, yeah. uh, Okada takes offense to it. He he kicks ah. out at one after the Bomaye. He destroys Ibushi immediately following the yow yell in this corner. Yeah. Like any yeah. reference to, to Nakamura specifically gets de- immediately destroyed by, by, uh, uh, Kazuchika Okada and it's like it's one of those things where I don't think necessarily that they're even doing it on purpose but later on if Nakamura does make a comeback to have this match with Okada what a cool yeah. like thing that you can look at throughout the matches and have it be like this string that he never really forgave or, or you know he was still upset with him or whatever the entire time yeah no I mean there's a good story there with you know Nakamura going east yeah. you know to to do things there and abandoning New Japan. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a lot of there. I think um, traditionally people would call it going west, but yes. <laughs> well, I, you know, uh, we get a gold star moonstall to the floor from Ibushi, which is just, you know, awesome stuff there. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, yeah, he's, you know, kind of stops at Bomaye with a drop kick. Uh, we get a tombstone followed by a Rainmaker attempt. Coda again manages to avoid. So, um, pretty impressive stuff there. And then things take a turn and. Ibushi, you know, takes a turn himself. There's oh, yeah. uppercuts from Okada that are having no impact on an emotionless Ibushi. Um, a shotgun drop kick from Okada. 
uh, drops Ibushi, but again, he's up quickly. And then Ibushi turns the tide and begins just kicking and slapping the shit out of Okada <laughs> while he's down on the mat. Dude, those kicks are brutal, man. Like, it is... It's one of those things where every time that they've gone to this this character, this like element of this Ibushi mm-hmm. character in the last year, like each time it's like it seems like it's always Okada taking the brunt of it. Like that that turnaround and hit with the briefcase that they did was just absolutely brutal. And then here's the kind of in the in match version of it where he's just stomping and kicking him while he's down, kicking him in the face while he's just sitting there, like just like giving him you know constantly peppering stuff, just mean moves basically. Um, but yeah, Kota Ibushi's yeah. zombie mode has officially been activated, and uh, he kind of starts to take control of the match a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the ref is having to step in and basically, you know, stop him from just pummeling Okada. Um, the men go back and forth. Okada has a tombstone on the freaking apron. Ibushi would barely beat the count back into the ring. Um, you know, more back and forth. Okada would hit the spinning tombstone pile driver, followed by a rainmaker attempt again. But Abushi would hit a rainmaker of his own, uh-huh. Bomaye to the front and back of Okada's head, followed by um, another vicious kick. But again, Okada kicks out at two. Yeah, I, I love that stuff. Um, so they're kind of going back and forth here. Okada hits a spinning rainmaker. And then an actual yep. Rainmaker, Abushi kicks out of this. So two Rainmakers and Kota Abushi's kicking out. Uh, that's definitely kind of a thing that I felt like triggered to the audience to like, oh shit, like this, this might be the, uh, you know, Abushi chance here. Uh, he gets two more and wants a third full Rainmaker. Okada's just not, he's just, I'm going to keep hitting these until you're done. Um, but Abushi ducks the third one, hits a head kick, a running V trigger, but Okada then comes back with what I thought was like a Falcon Arrow, uh, and then the Rainmaker, and pins him one, two, three, your winner, and still IWGP Heavyweight Champion, Kazuchika Okada. And man, like, they pulled me completely in. I wanted Kota Ibushi so badly to win this fucking match. And it's one of those things where it's like, every time that I would yeah. listen to all of those guys in Japan do their podcast about New Japan, talking about how it's the year of Naito, it's the year of Naito, everyone's back in Naito. I've been watching the year of Ibushi and the year of fucking Will Ospreay this year, and like, Ibushi, man, like, I felt like it was his time, but apparently it is not. He fails here tonight and loses no. to Okada. Well, and you know, it's again, it's the great storytelling of New Japan, because what was Ibushi's downfall in this match? What was the, you know, final turning point that, you know, triggered the ending sequence from Okada, and that was his attempted Phoenix Splash, you know? Oh, yeah. And even the commentators mentioned, like, what a terrible idea it was for him to even go up and attempt it, you know? like On one hand, I'm cool with that, but on the other hand, it's like, you've been telling that story with Naito for three years, like, being, like, the big jumping move from the corner and missing being your downfall. You mean Ibushi? Ibushi, you mean? Naito. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, the Stardust Press has been his his downfall for the last two years. Right. (laughs) And so yeah. when that that was that move, it was like, well, okay, I guess it, it works. But yeah, Cause, yeah, because Kota, yeah, because Abushi misses that Phoenix Splash, and then you get the series of uh, Rainmakers. Oh yeah, and even and if you want to so. look even further, if you're looking at you know what character move he stole that was the last like offensive move for Abushi, he hit a V trigger and didn't. Like, yep. So he, he you know calls back to Kenny Omega but right before he gets defeated by uh, Kazuchika Okada, who's another guy that. 
you could see eventually that dream match return again against. So, sure. There you go. But yeah, yeah um, fantastic yeah. match. Like one of those that like immediately I was like, I don't know that tomorrow could beat this. Like this is right. one of my favorite matches that I've seen in a, a long time. And, and right up there in my top of the year list already is one of the contenders. Definitely. Yeah. And post-match um, Okada and the crowd would applaud Ibushi who was still down on the mat. Uh, you know, trying to kind of give him credit for a match, you know, a great match. But here comes Naito <laughs> to spoil the party. Real quick, if yeah. if you look at it though, I just want to point out like they really went out of their way to make Kota Ibushi look insanely strong oh, yeah. in this match because you know Tetsuya Naito or not Naito, uh, Okada was beating like Tanahashi with like three Rainmakers. It took six yeah. fucking Rainmakers yeah. for him to beat Ibushi in this match. Like that's insane. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It was an outstanding match. Uh, Naito would spoil the uh, celebration and uh, would actually get on a microphone. Yes. And, uh, you know, would basically just say, you know, remember me? Remember what we did years ago? Look, I'm back in this spot again. And, uh, you know, got a big one coming up tomorrow night between those two. Yeah. Yeah, he says, you know, tomorrow he's going to be the first double gold champion. The crowd's chanting for both sides. And then, like, it seems like one, you know, Night Oak's chants start to, like, kind of take over the crowd. You know, the announcers are saying that, you know, both these men have lots of people backing them. Uh, but Naito poses, gets the pop, then leaves. Okada hangs out. And I was like, oh, I guess he's going to do his, his, <laughs> his mic time now. Uh, so, yeah, he grabs a microphone. He thanks the people for coming. Thanks, Kota, for the fight of his life. He tells Naito that he doesn't give a crap what history Naito wants to make. He's the strongest champion in history. And uh, then all of a sudden, Okada looks almost sad. And then he resets and says, tomorrow, one more time, you'll see the world's best wrestling, and I'll be there to beat Naito. And that's the end of it. <laughs> so, there you go. Absolutely, yeah. It's a very random reference, but it's spot on if you know it. The movie Varsity Blues, the beginning of the movie, Paul Walker's character is like speaking during their like pep rally. And he's like, uh, yeah, I had a dream last night. I was laying in bed and all the girls go, woo. And then he's like, uh, had a dream that we were beating so-and-so, you know, 24-17. And everyone goes, yay. And then he goes, but then I woke up kind of sad. And everyone's like, aw, what's wrong? And he's like, because I know we're going to beat so-and-so by more than that. And then everybody gets really happy and cheers again. Yeah, I felt a little yeah, bit like so, that for sure. So Okada's ready, and he says he's the strongest IWGP champion of all time, something that Rocky Romero often backs up in his oh, yeah. discussions about Okada. So yep. that's it for night one, folks. But wait, there's more. Jesus, there is a lot more. Um, yeah, so <laughs> 10 matches already, and we're going to have a whole bunch more. Um, and that's going to do it for this week. An abrupt ending, but don't worry. We'll have night two along with our star reviews, our star ratings compared to Dave Meltzer's uh, coming up next week as part of night two's review. And of course, next week, Tony and I obviously both very busy. We talked about taking a week off, but we are going to be able to have enough time to just sit down for about 20 minutes and do a quick intro and a little quick uh, current wrestling. So you can expect that stuff to stay current as night two's review will be around next week. But in the meantime, you hear the music behind me. That means that we're closing out for the week. Uh, thanks for joining us. And, uh, keep up with us online at facebook just search for the name of the podcast and if you want to find us on twitter it's at grapplecast 
You can follow Tony at BeyondSanity19. You can follow me at Deadpool1205. And we'll see you next week for night two of New Japan's Wrestle Kingdom 14. Current wrestling you wanted to discuss, sir? Uh, I mean, I know we got a lot of shit to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Like, I understand that. So I'll I'll just try to keep it brief. Okay. That's fine. Just run down, just run down a few highlights. Because there were a few decently important things that happened this past week. So Good. I, it's one of those things where it's like, it's not that I don't, that I, you know... I think that every other show was bad. It was just I was so busy with 10 hours of one show. No, I don't blame you, dude. Because, like, I'm probably going to try to get around to watching some of this stuff. Like, I turned on Dynamite last night, and it was just like, I decided to do it too late at night, and I was already, Mm -hmm. like, falling asleep in my chair when I decided to do it. So it's like, I got through the first match, and it was a good match. And then, like you said, the whole, like, Nightmare Collective thing started, and I was like, uh, and I just faded out. And I was like, all right, I'm done with this. Turned it off. I uh, By the time I got home last, because I was like, Oh, when we got back from Buffalo Wild Wings, it was like 9.30. I was like, this is great. Like, I got, you know, three and a half hours of this damn show left to watch. I'll go home. And, watch. and then he talks into into Applebee's. And <laughs> I came back here and I drank just enough that I was having, like, the doze-offs. Like, uh. as I was... And, like, I started and I was like... And I was like, no. Like, I can't. Like, I've got to, like, get fully engaged. <laughs> so there might be, like, a portion between, like, the, the Sabre Jr. match... And whatever's after that, mm-hmm. before I like slapped myself out of it and like <laughs> got myself, but I was I was like, damn it! <laughs> I was, like sitting here having like the I, I drank a little too much and now I'm dozing off thing. Yep, I hate that man. The white noise of like the crowd just mm-hmm. becomes this like white like this like soothing like putting me to sleep thing with just the like <laughs> the hum of it all the ho and then just like the occasion like. Like all like, and like if the commentary is kind of laying out at times, it's like it just becomes very like. That's why I can't like watch old wrestling on the network. Like mm-hmm. some of that stuff that doesn't have commentary, I can't. Like it literally just makes me want to fall asleep like right away sometimes. Like, yeah. And even the older stuff where the commentary is like a lot less, it's just there's something about it that like just knocks me out. I don't know. <laughs> Rest holds. I guess they work on people that are watching as well. It, makes me want to rest my eyes it's funny though because it's like you know some of those crowds especially when there's that constant hum that's when there's like the most energy in the room but it's like but as a viewer on television that's what is the clearest to like the clearest sign of just like you can just let your eyes close now (laughs) i I need i need to get i need to get that on like a disc like that just needs to be like you can an option like they make white noise machines man like you can totally get that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know. I just think I was like that. I was like that was more effective than a fan in my room. Like I don't know what it is about. Them. All right, man. My, so what current bother. wrestling you want to talk about here? All right. Um, just a few of my like random thoughts while I was watching the shows. They didn't really materialize into like entire shows. Charlie Caruso was like unnecessarily intrusive to Samoa Joe this week when it came to who his mystery partner was going to be like oh, yeah? multiple backstage segments where she's like chasing down Samoa Joe or like, I, and then looking all put off when he doesn't tell her. it's like, <laughs> I, it's a mystery. Like, and why are you so damn curious about it? Like, just wait, you know, this kind of thing happens all the time around here. I don't know if you're aware of that, but it does. Um, <laughs> this was kind of funny, you know, 
So like, was and, it like multiple segments throughout the show of her trying yeah. to chase him down? Okay. Yeah, like she, she found like the room the guy was in, but she wasn't allowed to come inside. And you know, like Kevin Owens went inside and came back out and <laughs> was like wide eyed, like oh my gosh, you know. And she was like, ah, what? the fans want to know. You know, it was just one of those things where. <laughs> Mr. Samoa Joe just couldn't be cooler about it. He's like, no, no, I'm not going to tell you. Okay. So she did was that, relentless. Did, that, did those come off well then, or was it sort of... No, it was WWE fine. It was just kind of, of funny. Like, I'd just never seen that somewhere, like, you know, the backstage interview person was so persistent throughout the night. Okay. <laughs> like, just, like, popping up and, like, putting the mic in their face again and asking them <laughs> to tell them who it was when they're going to say no again. So. It's like Sting and Lex Luger. Stop asking yes. me about that. Right. It was the big show, spoiler alert, folks, who <laughs> joined them. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway. I heard anyway. the big show was back. Uh, well, he got, you know, he got that big honey, honeycomb deal, so he's got to get back on TV now, now that he's on yeah. the honeycomb box. That is true. Um, if I'd kind of wondered why you didn't see the people chasing the 24-7 champion around as much, you know, like the big fool sprints and yeah. all that. Well, if you've wondered what where Ember Moon has been, she hurt her Achilles while running around backstage <laughs> after the 24-7 title. Seriously? Ago, so, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, I mean, it makes sense that that would get somebody injured eventually because it is just kind of like a, you know, cartoonish scramble is the idea behind it. Yeah. But well, and, what, and, and one little slip, you know, or you, like, kind of bump into one of the other people you're running with and you mm-hmm. just step slightly wrong. I mean, you know, boom, anything can happen, so... That belt altogether, I won't go into it, but where has it gone? Like, it's just, yeah. now it just disappears for weeks at a time now, and they're like, eh, don't worry about it. And then it's back, and then it's like, you know, it's an important deal again, so. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the most frustrating part about it, is the fact that they don't seem to feel any responsibility to keep it consistent, at least, of, of if it exists right. or if it doesn't exist, or when it matters, yeah. when it doesn't matter, when it's retired, when it isn't retired, that sort of thing. It's like, it's just annoying. Right. Yeah, no, it is. Um, Brock Lesnar will enter the Royal Rumble match first, number one. Oh, as the champion. Wait, what? <laughs> well, because he's the champion, remember? So why is he joining the Royal Rumble? It, it was kind of unclear. Like he just wants to show that he can do it. You know, like he's done everything and he wants to do this, but he's going to enter number one. And I guess if he wins. Maybe that means he doesn't have to fight anybody at WrestleMania or <laughs> if he wins, that he also... gets the night off. That's what this is for. <laughs> What's that? If he wins, he gets the night off. That's what this is for. That, I don't have to travel kinda, to that, that stupid would, that mania. That actually would be kind of awesome. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, I mean, that's interesting, but at the same time, it's like you are clearly signaling a, a, a storyline that I don't know that a ton of people are going to care to watch for an entirety of, uh, of a... Well... <laughs> A Royal Rumble. Now, of course, you know, he could just be thrown out, you know, after five people based on whoever they decide to bring in, but. Well, and the thing that I'm just imagining is that this is, here's exactly how this is going to happen. Whoever throws Brock Lesnar out of the Royal Rumble is who Brock Lesnar will be defending his title against at WrestleMania. Probably. That's probably. Like, whether that person, whether that person wins the Royal Rumble or not. Yeah. Like. Well, no, that prob- person is fighting Brock Lesnar. I would assume that that person would also not make it any further in the Royal Rumble than one spot after Brock Lesnar, because he's probably right. not going to just go to the back. Um, right. 
Oh, you think he? You think he'd freak out about that? What makes you say that? And I mean, you know, it's he's not the ultimate warrior, but he's also, you know, not Eddie Guerrero out here with his stamina. I just don't know that I want. I think Brock Lesnar could even survive an entire fucking <laughs> Royal Rumble. That dude starts sweating like you poured five gallons of water on top of him after he does a suplex. <laughs> I don't disagree. I don't disagree at all. Um, there's a lot. There's uh, there's some rumblings out there about maybe a Drew McIntyre being the Rumble guy this year. So, I mean, there's been rumblings that Drew McIntyre is about to be crowned for what ten years now. If you take like three years out of the middle, <laughs> right? You will crown the man. Crown him. Uh, Let him. I mean, off what the do you hook. think? Who do you want to see win the Royal Rumble and go on towards WrestleMania? <laughs> it's like, it's so difficult to even really say like. I don't know. Is Daniel NXT Bryan involved? Will, yeah, they'll be involved, I bet. I wasn't sure if Which, that was a, an ongoing thing after Survivor Series or it was just going to be a special event for Survivor Series. I feel like they've made a point of saying, you know, Raw, SmackDown, and NXT superstars. Okay. All will be involved. You know, like I feel like I've heard somebody say that. It's so hard to say because Daniel Bryan won't be in it, probably, since he has a title match. So mm-hmm. that's unfortunate. I'd imagine somebody's going to fight. Well, no, Lesnar's in the Rumble match, so whatever. Whatever the hell that means. I don't even know if I, like, I just want it to be something interesting. Like, I don't even know if I care who wins it at this point. Just give me a reason why whoever wins it, I should give a shit about him. Brock Lesnar's technically on Raw now, right? Or is, yeah. he Smack- is he the SmackDown champion or the Raw champion currently? Well, he won, he won the SmackDown championship and was just, then just like, I'm going to go to Raw. That's and what like, I well, thought. Well, that's the SmackDown title, Brock. And he's like, I don't care. And so <laughs> the SmackDown title now is the Raw title, and the Raw title is the SmackDown title. That's right. Okay, so my question is then, if that's the case, then are they putting Brock Lesnar in the Rumble only for the purpose so that they can then find another workaround because they set up this wall that they then have to jump over to put Kofi Kingston against Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania? Oh, my. Like, I'm not going to say I would hate that. They've just done nothing to indicate they're even thinking about You know what I mean? Like, okay. the Kofi Kingston thing happened, and then the world just moved on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, I mean, There's fans, really... a lot of fans haven't, but well, <laughs> the world I know. The, I'm just saying, but WWE like, WWE has for sure. You know, there wasn't any real lingering storyline effects after that happened. Yeah. Literally, just this week. Now that you mention it, and another thing I was going to talk about anyway, I will transition into Miz TV with none other than John Morrison joining the Miz mm-hmm. uh, in the ring. Um, they're, getting, they're getting a little heelish, Miz and Morrison. You know, Morrison's very upset with the fans about disrespecting the Miz and not, you know, and turning on him so quickly and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the New Day got involved because they brought up, you know, him losing in six seconds. And Kofi Kingston was like, actually, it was eight seconds. You know, ha, 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 ha. Okay. Which again, it's like, I don't, I don't know if we're laughing, whatever. Um, well, I mean, but other the- than, you know, that's like the most mention of it I think I've heard Kofi make. As far as like anything on TV goes, I mean, because that's you know, in the weeks following, there was a few little signs that like it looked like either 
they purposely wanted Kofi to do or he was just adding himself just to keep that kind of like felt very much like Kenny Omega and, and Kota Ibushi where they're not necessarily currently doing any real storyline, but they're, you know, right. both willing to leave little, you know, generic, vague tidbits that if, if eventually they can put the story back together later, it'll be there. And so that's kind of what yeah. it felt like Kofi was doing with like the crumbling of the pancake when he was being made fun of like two weeks later, that sort yeah, of thing. That's true. But like you said, it does seem like since then it's really been completely dropped out. So I don't know, but once you mentioned that Brock Lesnar, the champion, is going to be inside the Royal Rumble. I was thinking, well, what would be the obvious or a reason to do that? And it's, well, if you want to get them mixed up with stars from other shows, that's right. a good way to do it. Oh, that's that's you know very true. So I you know I have no idea. Like when you put me on the spot like that, it's like I okay. am. It's hard to say that I have like a real favorite favorite. <laughs> you know, like yeah. You know, I just hope whoever it is that they you know have a good plan in place. Definitely, for sure. Yeah, that's that's really what all WWE fans should be really rooting for at this point. Just, <laughs> I just hope that they have you know actual plans right. laid out. That's all. <laughs> yeah, whoever it is is what it is. You know, it is what it is. I don't really have like a huge dog in the fight at this point. Yeah. Um, just hopefully it's a good storyline. Um, speaking of good storyline, Firefly Funhouse this week. You know, Daniel Bryan is you know talking about how Bray tried to change him, but that he. You know, they didn't happen. Bray, you know, tells us that he loves us, you know, ah. And then he says, Daniel Bryan isn't worthy of love. And again, kind of, you know, hints at the, you know, his commitment to the Wyatt family and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, him breaking that promise. Later in the show, Bryan cuts a promo saying the fiend can be hurt and uh, he will show him. And then Rambling Rabbit would appear on the screen and nervously was going to tell Daniel Bryan what the fiend's weakness is, his one weakness. Mm-hmm. But just before he could say it, Bray grabbed him by the head and said, snitches get stitches. And then that was the end of that. Uh, okay. Daniel Bryan would get a present in his locker later in the show and opened it. And it was rambling rabbit with like half of his head missing. So, nice. The dead so, body of rambling rabbit. What do you- R.I.P. I mean, when you started mentioning, like, just the idea of him saying, you know, I know that the fiend can be hurt, immediately I was like, oh, is it like water affects him or something? Like, it's just immediately I started thinking, like, the alien ending of the movie, you know? Um, What do you think it's going to be? I I worry that it's too early. I mean, I guess it could be, like, something that we don't visit for a while. I do love the idea of, like, there being one thing that, like, (laughs) you know, could, like, take out the fiend. I want Uh, it to be something like the the belief of the crowd or or corporate speak <laughs> right. like just have Daniel Bryan yeah. grab the microphone and right. start saying like be a star campaign stuff at him and then like all of a sudden right. he can't do anything it would have like killed things too early but how awesome would it have been if like you're like you said if it was like you know Ghostbusters two when all the negativity is what's creating yeah. like the ooze yeah. like <laughs> if like the positivity is what like would you know crush him is <laughs> like when the if like when he re-embraced the yes movement if like Daniel Bryan getting like the whole building to chant yes like <laughs> he like the fiend withered away like the wicked witch or something there you go yeah like a little Tinkerbell magic sort of thing would be right. would be fine with me yeah just Keith Lee and Daniel Bryan teaming up to mm-hmm. just destroy <laughs> yeah but it, that, the problem is is that it's like you can't kill him I mean like you no. gotta give him. Got to give it a year at least, so maybe they can do it later. Um, <laughs> but no, that cracks me up. So yeah, we'll see what happens with that. Um, only real things I wanted to mention on NXT was the announcement. DP, Alex Shelley, is going to be teaming with Kushida. The Time Splitters reunited in the wow. Dusty Rhodes Classic. 
Yeah. That's kind of impressive. That's pretty cool. I mean, because Shelly, didn't he like retire like two years ago? Like a year and a half ago? I would say he came out of retirement (laughs) within the last year or so. Okay. I think he went away and got like a real job or like a degree or did something and was kind of out. But he's he's taking indie dates and stuff. And he's one of those guys like Saban who's been at the PC doing some like guest training, you know, sessions and stuff. Now so, he's a guy yeah. that they could they could definitely use. I mean, it's not that you know WWE hasn't necessarily. Now, well, now I think about it. Originally, I was about to say you know his ability with tag teams and tag team matches and stuff. He could teach a whole lot, but it's like the in ring stuff for WWE's tag teams isn't bad. It's just the, right. the the whole organization of the tag team division that's the problem. Now I think about it. Well, and I may be overstating this, but if I'm the WWE, I do everything I can to make damn sure. That AEW doesn't get the Motor City Machine Guns, like, <laughs> yeah, under their banner because I don't know how much they've got in them or how how hard they can go for mm-hmm. a long period of time. But I mean, those guys in matches with the Lucha Brothers, oh, the yeah. Young Bucks, Private Party. I mean, like, yeah, those would be huge draws to fans, you know, and fans that grew up with that being probably their favorite tag team. I mean, they're one of the most influential teams. You watch the Will Ospreys and people of the world. And then you go back and watch Motor City Machine Gun stuff. And it's amazing. Like just how, mm-hmm. you know, much they influenced. Now that you're starting to bring to mind, like tag team dream matches, that could be a possibility. Like, you know, the, the diamonds in the rough of the TNA years that could be pulled back out and still shined off. And immediately right. I thought, you know, Robert Roode's being pretty wasted in WWE. And I know James <laughs> Storm is, doesn't have a job there. So, <laughs> Well, funny you say that because Robert Roode returned this week on SmackDown from his uh, oh, shit. <laughs> suspension. Oh, and, that's uh, right. I forgot he was suspended. That's right. Yeah. Attacked Roman Reigns and, you know, whatever. But there'd been stor- you know rumors about James Storm. Well, actually, I should say James Storm's created rumors about James Storm <laughs> coming into the WWE <laughs> and reuniting beer money. But okay. I love the idea of it. It's because that's another one where it's like, listen, WWE. I know Vince doesn't know or care, yeah. But you guys need to know or care that, you know, those guys together could be, you know, pretty big deal yeah. underneath somebody else's like, you know, banner. Definitely, absolutely. So uh, that was basically basically the biggest thing on NXT, and then just uh, quickly with AEW. Um, I don't want to talk about it, man. That Brandy Rhodes segment was rough. Yeah, like I. I, you know, Ooh. it's one of those things where Ooh. it's clear that they're they're hearing what the fans are saying and they're they're Ooh. making changes to a point, to a point. Yeah. And then yeah. and then Brandy Rhodes says, "But I really want to." And they say, "Okay, fine." And right. <laughs> it's like, what what is this? What is going on here? Like her whole segment on the announce thing seemed like a waste. They took a good match, a really exciting match and just kind of yeah. pissed on it for the sake of the storyline that we all thought was possibly being swept under the rug. Yeah, <laughs> I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I thought, like you said, I don't think that it was great. And it definitely, you know, when I tried to watch Dynamite and it was yeah. super late at night, that was the the final, str- the you know, the nail that broke the back, I guess. Yeah. And congratulations, Chris Jericho has now made all of his close friends relevant in 2020 again, as uh, Luther is revealed as the who's Luther. He's a deathmatch legend. Just ask Excalibur. I was so glad that people <laughs> called him out this week on Twitter about it is it is pretty annoying how Excalibur's a guy because he did it during the Butcher and the Blade too. Like uh-huh. no matter who appears and it's no one's ever Excalibur's always like, Oh, that's 
Butcher and the Blade. Like, yeah. You know, like this week he goes, oh, that's Luther. He's a Japanese deathmatch <laughs> legend. And it's like, those are strong words, dude, considering like nobody has a clue who you're talking about. Oh. I'm almost positive that that's that guy that Storm and Callus used to talk about a lot on their show. He was one of their Dr. Lu- Dr. Luther, I think. Oh, what- okay. He wrestled with with them or th- something, I think, like I the Hannibal know. Lecter gimmick. I still but think it was, just, it was just like crickets. Like yeah. I'm not, it's fine, like whatever. I I don't know what I was expecting, but it was just well, very odd. What I was expecting was not to tease it like it's going to be someone I know when you know it's going to be someone yeah. that I don't know. <laughs> that's true. That's fair. Right? Like, yeah, that's fair. Like if it was Rufus. Yeah. And that was the joke, and that was the whole thing. Like right. that would have been one th- we would have been able to recognize it, but it wasn't. It was some yeah. guy that apparently wrestled in Japan at some point right. under deathmatch rules. I have no idea who this yeah. guy is. No, and neither does anybody else. And that's why it was. It took a segment that was going poorly for all the reasons yes. you were talking about before. Because God love Brandy, and I know she's trying to make people dislike her, but this is like a special kind of dislike, and it's just. <laughs> It's not working. I don't know. Uh, we don't got to dwell on it. But that happened. Luther was revealed, and the crowd went mild, yeah. um, unfortunately. <laughs> and then the final stuff, really good segment with Moxley and Jericho uh, with the inner circle announcement and whether or nice. not he was going to accept their invitation. And he took it, and he's, he joined the inner circle, and <sighs> there was a big celebration, and hey, says Jericho's let's... the best of all time. And did it, did it... They go to... Does it last past the end of the show? No, just wait. Okay. As I say, because I was gonna say, then, like, this is what I was they, worried. I'm not gonna. Not, I want to let you right. do it, but if they would have right. gone into it and let it be the end of the show that he's just joined, that feels so much like every faction that WWE did, and like that was CM Punk yeah. joining the ECW faction, and like right. all that same <laughs> shit. Anyways, go ahead. No, yeah. So they pop open some bubbly, and they're celebrating, and he's hugging Sammy, and it's all fun and smiles and. Everybody leaves the ring except for him and Jericho. And then he literally, he's just like in his Moxley way. He's like, yeah, hey, Chris. He's like, I was just kidding. Like, <laughs> and then broke a bottle of champagne over Chris's head and like, oh, shit. Hit the DDT. And now I'm very excited uh, to finish this episode of Dynamite. <laughs> yeah. I feel a little bad now because I know you hadn't watched this stuff no, yet, it's but fine. it was like kind of a big deal on the show. So I wanted to mention it. Yeah. No, I'd forgotten but, uh, that that was the the big draw that everyone was using for that week was that you know we were going to hear Mox's answer finally. So, yeah, and I also won't spoil it completely for you though. But there was a good segment with MJF out demanding to talk to Cody about his terms, and DDP would be the man to answer uh, MJF's request. And there's a really fun <laughs> segment there, promo between the two of them that is a uh, good stuff. Uh, has did did MJF make any sort of comment on what's going on with the uh, Cody's like three dads that he's got going on here with the Arn <laughs> DDP and Tommy Dreamer. <laughs> I can't remember if he like made that like reference exactly. He's he's got some good stuff on. He's he's got some good stuff in there though. But it was good to see Paige in there cutting it up. Nice, nice. Oh, all right. So, so anything yeah. else for current wrestling then? No, busy week. Lots going on. You know, like I said, it's the calendar turns, and for whatever reason, the wrestling world treats the first quarter of the year as like their most important time of the year. So yeah, it's big, big things happening everywhere. We got bash of the beach coming up in AEW, which I love that. So 